Attention Talking Simpsons listeners, we have a new podcast miniseries exclusively on Patreon right now. For $5 and up subscribers at patreon.com slash talking simpsons, you get Talk King of the Hill Season 2 Part 1. That's right, we're returning to King of the Hill once again putting out 11 new episodes covering the first half of the show's second season. Again, that is patreon.com slash talking simpsons. Be there or be not right. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons, the podcast that's fan fugotastic. I'm your host, the scum-sucking pus bucket Bob Mackie, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? How European! It's Henry Gilbert. And who do we have on the line? Nina Matsumoto. I'm here for atmosphere. And today's episode <laughs> is One Fish, Two Fish, Blowfish, Bluefish. We have meatloaf! Get it while it's unbelievably hot, kids! Today's episode aired on January 24th, 1991, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real-world history. (gasps) Oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, Bart Simpson is about to head off to Operation Desert Storm, as we've seen in all the famous (laughs) t-shirts. Meanwhile, Super Bowl XXV happens. The New York Giants defeat the Buffalo Bills. I'm sure they'll do better next year. Uh, and and Whitney Houston famously sings the Star Spangled Banner at that as uh, it's jingoism personified. And finally, in a monumental moment for children watching TGIF, Steve Urkel <gasps> crosses over on to Full House. Oh my God. And the sitcom mm-hmm. was oh, I truly that born. <laughs> I, I believe it was Stephanie got glasses and is being teased about them. And then Steve Urkel tells her to not uh, let the bullies get to her. Did, she, did he arrive on a jetpack, perhaps? Hmm. Is that how he got over to the full house? You know, I just remember seeing him walk in the front door uh, with Uncle Jesse, and they're like, it's our neighbor, Steve. Oh, maybe he <laughs> left on a jetpack. I, I, I don't know. I feel like he came in through the door, and it was when Steve was very young still. I think he, when he was, that's when he was starting to gain popularity. Not was, when it was like becoming the Steve show on he, Family Matters. He wasn't yet the nutty professor. Yeah. Not yet. And did you know <laughs> that Jaleel White, what his new business is, his new line of business as of like the last month, he is now in the designer marijuana industry. Okay. Like a lot of celebrities, but I will say I want to look into see if he's giving profits to, you know, bail uh, mm. funds or anything like that. Because if you're a celebrity, you're getting into the weed business, please give some of that money to people in jail for drug offenses. Yeah. Yes. In whatever yeah. way you can. And it's called Purple Urkel. Purple Urkel. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I, I would think they should advertise that as it's so good, you'll turn it to Stefan or Cal. <laughs> I remember that being a big event. It, I didn't watch many live action sitcoms other than TGIF at the time, but I, I was definitely watching that. And, uh, and yeah, Super Bowl 25, like, it lined up perfectly. Now, it's, uh, it's a whole thing about the national anthem at mm-hmm. football games, but... It was really only done at the big ones like the Super Bowl back then. And, and Whitney Houston, RIP, one of the you know best singers of her generation. I got to think the mega popularity of it was that we were all like 
so heavily advertised to by every cable news network about Desert Storm and the invasion of Kuwait and everything that uh, we were just like, yeah, Star Spangled Banner, all right. You immediately switched to live war footage as it happens. Yes, yep, yeah, as as seen in the critic, in that classic critic episode. Mm -hmm. And this episode, of course, I will say up front before I introduce our guests, I will not say the full title again. This is just like two cars in every garage and three hours in every fish. It's a very tortured title. It's a parody of something that's also very long. So I will now call this Blowfish. Mm -hmm. That's all I will say from now on. I only said the main title twice. But yes, joining us today is Nina Matsumoto. Welcome back to the show, Nina. I'm here to complain about the title of the episode. (laughs) Uh, It really should have been... Why wasn't it one fish, two fish, red fish, blowfish? Oh, mm. better why title. Not, why wasn't bluefish made into blowfish? Mm, yeah. yeah. A, or dead fish, that would be a better blowfish. Fun. Yeah. Uh, but or something. Yeah. I, I, fi- I find that There's odd. Is this one of the banned Dr. Seuss books? <laughs> uh, I wonder. <laughs> I've got my stock of Dr. Seuss books ready. <laughs> and, uh, and if people don't know Nina, as listeners, <laughs> like she's an Eisner winning comic artist and someone who is uh, as an, such an accomplished artist, truly a master of how to draw in the Simpsons style, but also in many other styles. Like you're uh, just awesome, including uh, one of your things you got first famous for was a crossover of Japanese culture with the Simpsons, which is also a very like fitting thing for this episode. Yeah, that's that's true. Hmm. I was discovered online because I did a picture called the Simpsonzu, which is Simpsons big cast picture in my style, which is like a Japanese cartoon style. And it's not like I was trying to do like a super anime looking picture. I was just like, oh, what would it look like in my original style? And then most people call it anime style, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. So and then I was hired by Bongo Comics to, to draw a manga parody for them for Simpsons Comics. And that, that was my first time being published ever as an artist. And I started doing regular Simpsons comics for them too. And I was a penciler for 10 years. And all of these acclaiming credits, you decided to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what did the the one that won the Eisner was one of was that one of the Japanese comic ones? Yeah, it was. It was the the Death Note parody that mm. you guys talked about in the water cartoon about Death Note. Thanks for uh, bringing that up. By the way, I had to um, force Bob to talk about it. So. <laughs> I was happy to talk my about it. Worked. Oh, thank you. Every time I come over, I spin the little Eisner globe. <laughs> uh, it's it's behind a locked case. You can't get to it. <laughs> Bob, no more spinning. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so fun. Keep but your grubby hands off of it. Yes, welcome back to the show, Nina. She was last on the show for the uh, the Road to Cincinnati, the mm-hmm. uh, season yeah. 32 episode. And and before that, it was uh, Dumbbell Demnity, mm-hmm. I think. Both oh, Hank, that was a long time ago, yeah. Both Hank Azaria-focused episodes as well. That, yeah. And this is the first show that she's on, I believe, that we are officially a married couple on a podcast, so it's going to be disgusting. Mm, yeah, I, <laughs> I can't take it already. The, this guy won't stop talking about his wife. You know, Dumbbell Indemnity was when we first announced that we were dating. Mm-hmm. Wow. Man, that and feels, now we're married. That feels That's how fast ago. it progressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is also like a famous Simpsons episode for many reasons, mm-hmm. and uh, but it is the first time on the show the Simpsons interacted, I think, with with Japanese culture ever, and uh, they've they've done it many other times. But this absolutely is very um, of the late '80s view of Japanese culture, I uh, from an American perspective, I'd I'd say it really is. And I was thinking about this because Nina was on our episode 
episode of Talking of the Hill, our Patreon podcast series. Uh, she was on the episode of King of the Hill, our podcast, in which uh, Khan and his family are introduced. And the joke in that one, uh, towards the end of the show, is that Hank thinks Khan uh, stole his dog and cooked it. And you can see there's sort of the same anxieties happening in this episode in which um, it's playing off the anxieties that Americans had about Asian food in the late 80s where, uh, you know, it's this foreign thing. It's very scary. And the worst possible thing happens to Homer for trying a new thing. He's immediately punished (laughs) with a 24 hour clock until his own death. And I mean, I talked about it on that episode, but in case you didn't hear growing up in Ohio, I didn't eat. Chinese food or any kind of Asian food until I was in my very late teens and a friend took me. No families would go to Asian restaurants. No one was getting takeout. I would see it on Seinfeld. I was like, oh, how exotic. People in the city must eat this. But adults uh, growing up was like, that food is dirty. It's dogs and cats. So get sick if you eat it. And that was a story. And you can see some of the same anxieties happening in this American family of the same era. I think they treat sushi with a pretty decent amount of respect in this episode. It's kind of surprising. Right, right. They could the... have made a lot of like jokes about, you gross. Or, you know, when they go to the seafood restaurant in the first season, uh, Homer's Night Out. Extra tentacles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's like jokes like that, like you seafood. So they could have done like like that, that kind of stuff in this one. But no, like Homer is really into it and they're pretty accurate with their, their portrayal of the food. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty funny that they, I, I, I think it's pretty funny that they both want to say sushi isn't as scary as it seems and a regular guy like Homer would love it. But also they still want to have the joke of, well, it could kill you if it's yeah. made wrong. And they, But they at least have to say it's like, well, a lot of unprofessionalism happened for it to kill you. It doesn't normally threaten your life. And we are right now in the era of race-appropriate casting, which is great. And I never think about this episode when that comes up. But early in the seasons of The Simpsons, they established at least one time a precedent. Like, if we have minority characters that are new on the show, of course we'll hire the appropriate race to play them and people that can speak the language if they're going to be speaking the language on the show for whatever reason they stopped after this episode and Mm. until 30 years later so i'm wondering why this was the precedent and uh george takei did not even come back to play akira after that they're like ah hank can just do his sulu impression (laughs) it's fine so what do we need to call sulu for we'll just get him (laughs) this episode really uh stands out in my mind because growing up there were rarely japanese people in tv shows and you know a lot of times when there were they'd be played by by non-japanese asian actors or if there's like what's supposed to be Japanese writing uh, it would be a bunch of scribbles and it was rare to see Japanese cartoon characters especially so this episode like really surprised me like to hear real Japanese see real writing uh, seeing Japanese names in the end credits it meant a lot to me and it really surprised my my parents too like my parents were from Japan and because they always expected inauthentic portrayals uh, of their culture on TV so like to actually recognize what they're saying uh, the characters on TV are saying it was like a delight to them mm-hmm. yeah now that I know some Japanese words and I can recognize actually it being spoken in this episode, I'm I'm even more impressed by it. And I do think, you know, it's hardly true all of the time, but in the first decade of the show, if they if Apu was talking to another person in, in Hindi, he usually does speak Hindi or or Spanish speaking countries, though it's not always true, but it's certainly not always race appropriate. I I was thinking of this one just the same with the Mr. Sparkle bit that in both cases they did hire Japanese or Mm -hmm. Japanese American actors uh, to play the parts and well, I, I came to a big theory in this episode. Oh, okay. Uh, but I think I'll save it for uh, when we get to the karaoke section. Okay. But, uh, but I, I also uh, didn't, 
I don't think I had sushi until I saw this episode when I was eight, and I was not an open-minded eight-year-old like Lisa. And also, my- <laughs> were they serving sushi anywhere in Jacksonville, Florida? Probably not. At, yeah. uh, back then, but uh, but if they were, we we our family didn't. Our family does that did have kind of the way of thinking like if it's beyond fried chicken pizza or burgers it may as well be mars like that uh but once i was like late in teens early 20s that's when i started eating at more diverse restaurants including japanese places and i i came to really love sushi it's mm-hmm. a very nice tasty thing but i i probably still had this episode in my mind because i i think it did make me think like but what if it did kill me <laughs> like it, uh, but yes that yeah. silly thought it wasn't accessible to me until i went to grad school and went to a bigger town so i had like chinese buffet sushi when i was maybe like 19 or 20 <laughs> and all it was was just like cucumbers rolled up with uh with uh, seaweed and rice so there oh, yeah, was yeah. not even like meat in it maybe imitation crab was in it but not until i was maybe in my uh like 24 or 25 did I actually have sushi for the first time and i was thinking about it and uh sushi probably is my favorite food now mm. I think I was used to seeing roll sushi and I thought that was the only type of sushi there was or it was a a while before I saw nigiri style sushi mm-hmm. at places which I, I really love and then I didn't ever have sashimi until my first trip to Tokyo in, uh, in 2011. It's good that sushi is your favorite food Bob because you're going to be moving to Vancouver eventually <laughs> and we have so much good cheap sushi. It's true mm. and I will I will credit Nina for really I mean I I thought I knew a lot about Japanese food, but she has really gotten me to try a lot of new things. And she makes a mean bowl of New Year's soba. That was very delicious. Mm. I tried Sukaman ramen for the first time yeah. on, on your suggestion via Nina. <laughs> and that is ramen that you uh, does not come with broth with the noodles. You dip it. It's kind of like a thicker broth. It's great. Mm like disassembled ramen yeah growing up uh, I, ate, I ate Japanese food obviously but I didn't like sushi as a kid I think that's a very common thing mm-hmm. though like in Japan like tamago and ebi that's like the egg and shrimp which are both cooked that's known as like like kids sushi like that's what you start <laughs> uh, kids off with first and also I want to bring up like sushi the word sushi refers to the rice it means vinegared rice mm-hmm. and the stuff that goes on sushi is called netta so sushi is not always raw fish um, even though that's what people associate it with like sashimi that's the raw fish like that you have on itself by itself without the sushi but I'm not going to be pedantic enough to like <laughs> correct people when they make jokes about sushi being raw fish Mm-hmm. like whatever like a lot of it is is cooked though but I, I think i guess the raw rawness is what turned a lot of people off back then mm-hmm. and uh bob and i were on an episode about um sorry to bring this up again i know you hate we both hate the, the game but <laughs> we were on an episode of retronauts about oh escape, no uh from monkey island <laughs> <laughs> because there were a lot of jokes uh slamming sushi in there and that game that game was made or released in 2000 and by then i think it was too late to make you sushi jokes mm-hmm which is why it's even it's even more surprising that like this respect um respectful portrayal of sushi mm-hmm. was done in the 90s like the early 90s man that's surprising not to talk more about escape from monkey island i no. didn't know that i <laughs> well, also because i assume that the developers like live in the bay area which they you did know, yeah they have much more yeah. access to quality sushi and japanese culture than you would and you know if they lived in middle in north carolina let's say or whatever well people can listen to that episode i i liked it i hated playing the game for it i'm sorry i put you through that nina but i I think it was a reaction to people 
living in the Bay Area as the dot-com bubble is changing it, and a lot of, like, trendy sushi places were popping up all mm. over. It's so, like, more sushi! I say, all I want is sushi. That's all I want <laughs> in my life. If I could eat it for every meal, I could. I would, I, actually. And it's great, it's great how accessible it is now. You could buy it at, like, a gas station. I wouldn't recommend getting it at a gas station, but you can get it there. Mm -hmm. And during, uh, like, the quarantine or lockdown or whatever, at the beginning of the pandemic, when I was trying not to venture out too far, the sushi they sell at the Asian grocery store near me, like, I live by a huge Asian grocery store in Canada called TNT. And their sushi is great. I actually bought some to enjoy after a recording because I know I'm going to crave sushi afterwards. <laughs> mm, and yeah. I have no sushi, but I am making ramen tonight with ramen <laughs> eggs. Uh, man, well, the sushi, I'm wondering now if the nearby sushi place uh, still does. They do. Out. Okay. I, I get it from there all the time. Well, not all the time, but like probably once a month. I love that we're talking so much about sushi when that's not what this episode is about really <laughs> folks it's noon and it's we're all hungry about, <laughs> it's mostly about homer thinking he's gonna die it's true mm. uh let's talk about the writer of this episode though nell scoville so if you want to know a lot more about her we interviewed her a few years ago on our patreon so that's patreon.com slash talking simpsons that's just one of many interviews we have on there but also she put out a book uh around that time called just the funny parts about her writing career and we both have a copy of that book and it's a great book so mm -hmm. for this henry and i both reread the section about this episode and we're going to be talking about what was originally in her draft and pitch and what got changed yeah it's uh it's a very good memoir about uh, uh, what the career in general would be of a hollywood writer uh, a comedy writer in the 80s and 90s in into the 2000s but additionally you know she dealt with a lot of sexism in her career in her time like a lot of she she tells some stories that aren't so happy mm -hmm. but but are important to share about how it was in the industry then and you hope it's better now uh, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff in there and also just fun stories there's an entire chapter that is the writing of this episode the from uh, to such a level of detail that we'll we'll talk about <laughs> so, uh, a lot of it but but not all of it you should definitely read her book also she wrote an episode of space ghost uh, that's really great i love hearing the story about her friendship with joel hodgson right back then like uh yeah she was very nice in our interview too i i liked her quite a lot so her biggest claim to fame on television, at least, is creating the TV show Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which ran for seven seasons. Yes, Sabrina is not her character, but she's like the developer and the creator of the show. Mm, first uh, season showrunner, mm -hmm. yeah. And so she is a 1982 Harvard graduate. Uh, <laughs> she did not write for the Lampoon. She did write for the Crimson, which is the serious student newspaper, the mm -hmm. uh, the Harvard Crimson. Yeah, we talked about that with uh, Brianna Joy Gray because she is mm -hmm. also a Crimson alum, and we mentioned that. Yeah. So in the mid '80s, uh, Nell Scovell moved to New York, and in 1986, she was the first staff writer hired for the uh, long defunct Spy magazine. Which apparently, if you're a Gen Xer or a late boomer, was a really cool subversive magazine. I know Bill and Josh love that magazine a lot. I think one of them even wrote a few articles for it in their yeah. time. But yeah, Spy magazine. She also wrote for Vanity Fair. So from uh, being a journalist in college, she went over to be a journalist in New York. Yeah, I, I think Spy is like the AV club for yes. our generation was. It didn't last half as long as the AV club did, though. Mm -hmm. So this is how she got into the Simpsons world. So she pivoted to TV when one of her spec scripts for its Gary Shandling show was picked up. And then after that, she was hired as a story editor on the final season of Newhart, which I believe David Merkin ran. So yeah. she's working with a lot of uh, future Simpsons people on these projects. It's the Gary Shandling show that has Sam Simon, Gene and Reese, many other... Gamble uh, and Pross. Yeah. Emily Pross and uh, it's it's in the Brooks uh, sphere so they they were definitely aware of her from that yes so uh, she 
she left L.A. and moved back to New York because she got her dream job for at the time writing for Late Night with David Letterman, a very influential late night talk show. This was in the late 80s, and she was the second female writer hired on the show at that point. I kind of think maybe the first was Meryl Marco. I would assume so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you can read all about this. There's a 2009 article called Letterman and Me, which she wrote after David Letterman, the uh, the scandal came out in that he was being blackmailed uh, because he had a history of having sexual relationships with women who worked on the show. And she wrote an article about her time on the show. And she did not have that relationship with David, but she did say that, yes, that's what happened in my time. He had relationships with women on the staff, and those women were given power, more power than any other woman on the the staff. Mm-hmm. I was not comfortable with that and that is why she left even though he wanted her to stay. And she didn't notice but other people on the staff said yes he gives you more attention than other people so clearly she was in his uh, in his sights as yeah. another potential relationship to have. No, I, and and she would confront that with him later in an in a one-on-one interview a couple years ago, or maybe it was just last year. But Letterman has been kind of on an apology tour since yeah. retiring, and he, which I mean, hey, I think that's good that Letterman can at least recognize these uh, criticisms or faults of his. But it's it's uh, I don't know. It all it all just feels too late. I wish if I had one note about what disappoints me with letterman is that i wish if he's going to do all this apologizing start a new comedy show and hire only yeah. a female writing staff and and give uplift a bunch of new careers may and and all these new stars through your name maybe that could that would make up for it to me more i i'm also i'm the, of the mind of like you know an apology is nice it checks better to to people yeah. or how about an apology with some money like but but yeah like it looked like uh nell scoval and and letterman at least bury the hatchet for themselves in, in mm-hmm. that interview. No, it feels like people have really largely forgiven Letterman. Like no one really like spits out his name in disgust or anything. Um, maybe if the stuff was revealed like nowadays, there might be more anger towards him. Yeah, it was pre Me Too. And, and I mean, they were consensual relationships, but there was a real power difference there. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. For so many people in the comedy world, if they didn't work directly for Letterman, they always looked up to him of a certain generation and old. And so, you know, if it feels like a settled matter, you don't want to rock the boat by bringing it up again and because you like the guy. But yeah, no, when you talk about it, the power differential is to such an extreme. Mm-hmm. It's it, uh, it at the very least is it makes one uncomfortable for sure. Yes. And so she left Letterman for the sitcom Coach. And then she went on to have an extensive career uh, in sitcoms and other shows. And after writing this episode as a freelancer, she would return in 2020 to write the episode Sorry, Not Sorry. So there's a 29-year gap in her written episodes on the show. (laughs) I wish they delayed it by one month. Because if they'd aired it in January 2021 instead of December 2020, it had been exactly 30 years. Come on, guys. But that episode, yeah, she, uh, she tweets about it a bit. She did have a good tweet about how she's like you know nobody has had this big a gap in between writing episodes and and the episode is definitely in she she also wrote the book and i think helped coin the term lean in Mm -hmm. um and that episode is very much in like the lean in mindset or just like it's about that lisa doesn't feel like she should have to apologize to mrs hoover and there's always pressure on women to apologize for things that are not put on to boys like bart and Hmm. it's yeah it's uh it was an interesting episode i i watched it i i also just like seeing you know i felt good for maggie roswell having a lead role in an episode in a miss hoover centric episode so yes a lot of writing credits for her i'll go over a few of them she was on the staff of several shows like 
Murphy Brown, Providence, Charmed, NCIS, Warehouse 13, and The Muppets, that recent office Muppet show, which I, uh, Nina and I saw a few of those uh, over break, I believe, and I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it was fine. And on the commentary, I like, uh, she's a bit sassy, <laughs> rightfully so. So on the commentary, she says, quote, I came in and it was 12 guys, and I would believe it was the first female they'd ever seen. There's a little bit of an awkward beat, and Al Jean says, but not the last. That's so good. this commentary That's likely good. recorded in early 2002, based on when these DVDs came out. And at the time, I believe Carolyn Omine was the only female writer on the staff. And to this day, The Simpsons does still have a problem in terms of the amount of staff female writers that they have on their team. So I will say that this is still an issue they should be dealing with, and they are getting more female writers, especially freelancers. But uh, yeah, it's something they really have to work on still. And there, there is a, an important thing to know if you're you're outside of the industry of Hollywood uh, is the difference between staff and freelance. Like on on Simpsons and most shows, I believe it's a WGA rule. Though the Simpsons was not WGA officially at the in season two, but a rule is you have X amount of freelance scripts a year. Seemingly, uh, it's about giving opportunities to other writers or to try people out. But if you're a freelance, you come in and you hand in a script and then you go away. Mm-hmm. You're not in the rewrite room. You don't have structural power in the system and you are definitely lower than a staff writer and so you know uh the simpsons did not have one woman as a staff writer until season six and that was jennifer crinton and she stuck or season five and she left within 18 months i think it was and and then carolyn omini was the second one i think at best they're up to like three or four women have a a written by credit in a season of Simpsons. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are freelancers an improvement um, over, you know, zero, but it's, uh, they could always be there. Omine had said the same to us when we interviewed her too. Yeah. But I did like her razzing the guys on Yeah. I did. (laughs) That was 20 years ago. So she was pointing out, yeah, it's still a problem. And then, uh, you know, much later she talked about it uh, in in regards to Mimi Pond. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've, yeah. So as Mimi Pond, you know, talks about many times as she talked about in our interview with her too, she was the writer of the first aired episode of The Simpsons, Simpsons Roasting on Open Fire. She mentioned that um, she had applied to be there on staff after writing the episode and uh, she was not hired and she said she had been told that it was because Sam Simon did not want women in the writing room. Like he didn't want to staff any women. That, that is what Mimi Pond said. Mm-hmm. And we interviewed her as well. So. Yep. The Simpsons will be right back. got Simpson a dollar and three cents mr. bully sir keep a change thanks man I think I'll take that butterfinger too <laughs> think again Nelson <laughs> crispity crunchity peanut buttery butterfinger nobody better lay a finger on my butterfinger <laughs> and try new butterfinger ice cream bars cool man butterfinger on a stick <laughs> Welcome to the break, all you fans of Raw Fish and The Simpsons. It's Henry Gilbert here, and a big thank you to our guest, Nina Matsumoto. We always love having her on, not just for all her expertise, but also just to talk to somebody who does something as cool as the comic book Sparks and all of her cool stuff that she does at Fangamer. Please check all of that out and follow her on Twitter for some great art. 
And if you're a brand new listener to our show, you should definitely be checking out patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. That's where subscribers are able to support me and Bob doing this podcast as our full-time jobs. We've been doing it for over six years now, talking about every episode of The Simpsons. And for five bucks a month, supporters at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons get access to hundreds of exclusive podcasts. Me and Bob have covered series like Futurama, King of the Hill, Mission Hill, and The Critic, super in-depth like we do with the simpsons but only as exclusive podcast for our patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash talking simpsons plus you heard us mention several interviews we've done you can only hear those if you are a five dollar and up subscriber at patreon.com slash talking simpsons so please sign up today and check those out But if you want something as fancy as Fugu, you should sign up at the premium level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons to get all of the best stuff. You get all that $5 things I just talked about, but your $10 a month subscription at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons also gets you once a month our often over four hour long podcast, What a Cartoon Movie. On our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, we cover an animated series just the same way. We go super in depth into the Simpsons and for the What a Cartoon Movie, we go super in depth into the history of films like recent picks hercules hunchback of notre dame coming up at the end of this month cool world shrek and a giant back catalog over 150 hours of exclusive podcast covering many classic animated films and also some that aren't so great but we had a ton of fun talking about them please go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons today to check out all of the offerings we've got at the ten dollar and five dollar level for all of you awesome subscribers But the uh, but the account in the book is of her writing this episode is really interesting. I I also like her talking about she could see the dynamic between Sam Simon and Matt Groening already in like just her couple hours around them. Yeah, she was brought in actually to pitch some ideas, and uh, she was more part of the process than I assume most freelancers are. And she explains her her other pitch in the book in that it's Bart uh, playing basketball at the free throw line saying, you know, God, if I make this, I promise not to bully Lisa. And he makes the shot and the entire episode is him trying not to break his promise with God. Mm. And that was her other pitch for the uh, episode she wanted to write. Which I think that sounds like a funny idea. It is more of a regular sitcom script though i'm sure you know the simpsons would make it even in early season two they'd make it more than just you know how a tgif show would have handled it and, and yeah i mean she brags in the book that like she she was into the simpsons like january 1990 like watching uh, like the third episode she told her agent i want to pitch to the simpsons her, her agent gavin i assume it's gavin palone it must be agent it to the stars be. yes yeah <laughs> i'm sorry we all know we know all this nina <laughs> Wait, so she she wrote this and then and the only other episode she wrote was in season 32. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's insane. I I do wonder if uh, partially she was at, offered to come back as a way of a as some level of apology. I also wonder that too. Not that she yeah, also probably. But also she's like she is slumming it honestly to do a freelance script for the Simpsons she is slumming it. She's yeah. like an executive producer of TV shows. She is not a freelancer uh level person. Probably did not get paid, you know, super awesomely for it, but it's an interesting thing she came back. That that to me feels like Al Jean's trying to make something right, which hey, you know, that's good. Good. 
Yeah, I mean, um, this isn't one of my favorite episodes, but I think she did a, a, a very solid story with this. And uh, when her book, too, she even she apologized. She's like, I'm not perfect either. When I show ran Sabrina the Teenage Witch, like, I didn't have a very diverse staff either. Like, she, she had more women, but she admits, like, it was mostly white women. Uh, everybody was straight. Not, no, TV's but, Frank yeah. was there. TV's Frank was there. Yeah, <laughs> she's, she's, I love that she is, like, on the outside of the MST3K family. Like, just to the, though she wrote one of the new uh, season 11 episodes, too. Hmm. But, wrote on it. Like, she was pitching jokes in the room. But, uh, but I guess we can, I, I mean, we'll mention the bigger stuff that got changed, but one of the most interesting things to me in the pitch process was that she outlined was it Sam Simon and she wrote the book after Sam Simon passed away she mentions that it, she had her pitch and then in the middle of it he's like you know what actually in act two what if this leads Homer to like join community theater and star in streetcar that was what? trivia I didn't know and that's why I want well, I want a history of the writing of every episode yes yeah there's there's like three things she mentions that were like well that got canned and I was like but that came back like all of these came back as ideas it was so Sam Simon she sells it so funny in her memoir she says sam simon makes that street par pitch she says that she clearly made a face that he's like oh you don't <laughs> like that and they said well will she's like i think it should be about you know what do you do with your last day al alive and so he takes it up to brooks and sees which one he approves of he prefers the 24 hours left to live and simon's of like uh, but but simon's like i'm not forgetting this streetcar thing no way so if, if they had gone with the streetcar thing that would have changed the entire tone of this episode mm. it would have gone into to captain wacky town <laughs> yeah and it's better to make i prefer it being about sad marge in streetcar mm -hmm. instead of instead of yeah. homer being the perfect uh stanley and we should point out that this episode produced long before the movie The Bucket List, and now the term bucket list <laughs> is uh, now just a commonly used expression. Mm. Nobody even I, I was shocked when I heard that film was popularized that term. I was like, no way, and I looked it up like through, I don't know, some Google searches. I'm like, oh, wow, it's true. It's, it's a People film. People didn't no really one... use it, that term very often until that movie. No one remembers that movie at all either. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I guess, well, I guess we should start the episode proper now. The, the, uh, the opening of it is a very type that Rugrats kind of ripped off after uh, the when they start up, which is this just is, yeah close up of a thing that looks weird, and then you quickly figure out what it is. Well, this is like the um, the Thanksgiving episode in which you start inside of a, an oven or a microwave. Oh, no. and a door is open. Uh, Bart the general Bart starts the general. With inside oh, okay, with the cupcakes yeah. baking. Uh, Thanksgiving is uh, pulling the guts out of the turkey. So they've done this stuff. device before, mm -hmm. and Marge is a very modern uh, housewife, and she's using the microwave to cook a meatloaf Ugh, that can't taste good i think i think it's a great device though it's like the kind of thing that's way easier to do in animation than in, in live action mm -hmm. so why not go for it yeah it's it's exciting like you can't uh on a regular episode of cheers they can't say can we start the scene with the camera inside a microwave mm. like that, that sounds really hard to do this does remind me of an older style of cooking in which when the microwave was popularized people thought oh you'll cook everything in this it's so fast and now it's just like <laughs> it's understood the microwave is for reheating foods mm -hmm. and sometimes uh the package will say not recommended yeah and i will yeah. say a big part of growing <laughs> up for me is that I became an oven directions man mm -hmm. and that's the lifestyle I live I live with the I live through the preheating process I wait longer but the food is better you just need more planning <laughs> 
You're tempting me to talk about something. Oh I no, not, not the to air talk fryer about anymore. In here. No, no air fryers. But when You're, Nina, when Nina and I live together, one here. Yeah, that's true. Air and when, when Nina and I live together, we will be an oven instructions family, or else the marriage will dissolve. Well, I like using the microwave. You have not lived until you've eaten a burrito that takes three hours to cook <laughs> on a cookie sheet. I want it now. <laughs> You guys say you didn't have uh, sushi until you were an adult. I didn't have meatloaf until I was an adult. I only ever saw it like, on shows like this. <laughs> and I one day uh, when I was in my 20s, I bought some at a grocery store and I heated it in the microwave. And I was very, very underwhelmed by it. I'm mm. like, oh, this is just a loaf of meat. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a meat loaf. <laughs> it's meat. But I don't know what I expected. It's meat, I but it was it's something better. It's meat, but it's adulterated with things like cornflakes and breadcrumbs. It's like it's it's a meal for if you have no money and just like I'm gonna take meat, I'm gonna stretch it out a bit yeah. into a meal. Well, the, the way Homer always drooled over it, I thought it would be something way better. Like pork chops are really good. I, you know, I that's like a solid piece of meat. I, I think too, you have to like bury it in ketchup for most uh, yeah. family made ones. Uh, yeah, I, you know, meatloaf was okay. not in my mom's repertoire growing up, but I if I ever had meatloaf, usually it was when I was eating a lean cuisine microwave thing and uh didn't want to just wanted to be done have it ready in like two minutes I, I think my grandma would make it and uh it was sort of like a meat cake and the and the frosting was ketchup it was had like a ketchup glaze on the top mm -hmm. so yeah you need a ketchup to sort of like make the dryness uh more palatable you know i'm just not a big fan of when ground meat is clumped together to form like the main meal what if like it's salisbury steak what if it forms dinosaurs? Mm, that sounds good. Oh, that those are fun shapes. Okay, there yeah, you go. Like that. You you gotta make like roaring sounds and move it towards my mouth though. And me okay, I'll way. remember that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It, it's funny. Like people always think, oh, Japan is all about seafood and sushi and whatever. But no, they have a huge like meat-based diet there. And I think meatloaf would do very well there because one of the popular dishes in Japan is Hamburg or mm. Hamburg steak. Or uh, I think it's more commonly translated as Salisbury steak here. Mm -hmm. And just a meatloaf and they put a lot of ketchup on it over there. They should bring meatloaf over to Japan. Say hey, look at this American thing. <laughs> on my one of my last trips to Japan, one of the greasiest things I ever ate was the uh, menchi, the deep fried uh, burger. It's it's ground beef and then fried in a. I, I believe is that's menchi, mm -hmm. right? That yeah. It, it was so greasy because, well, because none of the none of the beef juices could come out of the outside because it was all you know inside of a of a fried casing. I did like this joke about the farting ketchup bottle because uh, spoilers: we're preparing for the episode uh, worst episode ever, <laughs> which opens thing. with a, a joke about a farting uh, bottle of uh, pancake batter <laughs> that Marge then puts a silencer on. So the joke was uh, was exaggerated yeah. uh, twenty years later, or sorry, ten years later. As as a kid, Kid, it was one of your few just like laughs like a fart noise happened in the in the kitchen it's not i didn't make it i can just laugh at it that it happened <laughs> homer is stupider here than i thought he was because he's he's asking marge when it's going to be over and marge looks at the same microwave timer huh. he could look at and tells him it's eight seconds uh and i love his little bing that's very sweet uh, or cute that's true i guess i guess that wouldn't uh, that would look kind of weird if you could see the microwave from the front Mm, right yeah, yeah 
Like, we can't see the timer, therefore Homer can't see it in the shot. <laughs> I like Lisa. She's close to moaning Lisa here with her, like, despondency. Yeah. But I kind of like that she's just, like, so sick of it. She's like, it's the same five meals every day of the week. Um, I'm tired of it. And, well, now to think of a plot is that it is Lisa eats one kind of meat and wants to eat a different type of meat. It, that's very different for Lisa. It's not in character for her to want to try all the meats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lisa makes the pitch for where to go instead. Uh, Homer is not particularly receptive. Thursday, meatloaf night. As it was, is now, and ever shall be. What are you getting at? Well, you're always trying to teach me to be open-minded, try new things, live what life to... What are you to talking th- about? Nobody's trying to teach you that. <laughs> Shut up, boy. Well, maybe Lisa's right. Tomorrow night, it might be nice to go out for dinner. Tomorrow night? Friday? Pork chop night? Marge! We haven't missed pork chop night since the Great Pig Scare in 87. <sighs> Friday night, pork chops. From cradle to grave, etched in stone in God's library okay, somewhere Okay, okay, there. okay, okay. Where do you want to go? Anywhere but hamburgers, pizza, or fried chicken. Fine, we'll go to Mars. Hmm, there's that new sushi restaurant on Elm Street. Sushi? Hey, maybe this is just one of those things you hear on the playground, but isn't that raw fish? As usual, the playground has the facts right, but missed the point entirely. Sushi is considered quite a delicacy. Please, Homer, can't we try it? No. Definitely this is a show wanting you to take Lisa's side and not Bart. Yeah. Like, hey, don't be so close-minded to sushi. Like, I know you've heard it's raw fish, but give it a chance. I think people today still have that mentality of like, oh, no hamburgers, pizza, or fried chicken. Fine, <laughs> we'll go to Mars. <laughs> I, I know that like even the idea of like Mexican food is crazy yeah. to them. They, they wouldn't even think chicken tenders there. <laughs> yeah. Like Mexican food, that's like, that's still a lot of meat in there. Oh, yeah. You can find greasy things covered in cheese in so many cultures. You don't you don't just yeah, totally (laughs) things things that are close enough to a burger or fried chicken, if that's what you're looking for. Oh, my God. I mean, Japanese fried chicken is some of the best fried chicken. My mouth this we should have eaten before this Uh, podcast. I I have a small sandwich with fake meat inside of it. (laughs) It's waiting for me in your fridge. But also the pork chop night thing. This is coming right after Itchy and Scratchy Marge, which is all about pork chop night. Season two is the real pork chop season on the Simpsons. Uh, we don't really hear about it much more after that. It's just a fun word to say, I think. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I also like uh, Lisa's, the crosstalk. It's again, a thing that's kind of lost in the show now of Lisa. Lisa saying her whole line, which is so funny, of like etched in uh, etched in a book in heaven. And then <laughs> Homer is just going like, okay, okay, okay. What what do you want? What do you do? <laughs> uh, and I, even Marge is into the idea. I like that. Uh, it's, it's out of character kind of, maybe not so much in this season, but Marge is like, oh, I've heard about that place. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was going to say later, I think Homer should blame Lisa, not Marge, for making him go to sushi because mm. it was her idea. But you're right. Le- Marge is the one who says, you know, there's yeah. that sushi place. So if Homer can blame anyone for almost killing him, then it's his, then he can blame Marge, not Lisa. There's a, a season 23 episode where Marge, Bart, and Lisa become food critics because Marge tries Ethiopian food. And she's like, oh, wow, food from other cultures is really good. And they try all kinds of uh, food from other cultures after that. And uh, yeah, like I think I think it makes sense that she would be kind of more adventurous. I know I know they're not like planning this far ahead. Like they're not going like oh maybe food Marge could become a food blogger later. Yeah, but there's like there's some seeds of it in here. 
This this march is different than the march. It goes oregano. Yes, yeah. Very, uh, <laughs> I like when they tease the march. Want dreams like occasionally goes like I could do something beyond a homemaker. I could I I view a world outside of these four walls of the home. I, oh yeah, that episode. Uh, sorry, that was referencing is called the Food Wife, and that has uh, Tim and Eric in it. Oh, oh yeah, because cool. they're they're foodies too. Uh, I mean, yes. Eric is. I when my uh, a coworker of mine, he was on Instagram before I was. And he's like, yeah, I follow Tim and Eric. Tim's great. Eric just shows pictures of food. Like, that's all his Instagram is. <laughs> and Matt Selman is a huge foodie as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, you know, this this back and forth about, like, isn't that raw fish? Like, that reminded me of uh, how, you know, I still think that conversation happens uh, with people to this day. Oh, sure. But I watched uh, this 2018 Japanese animated series called Isekai Isekaya, uh, Isekai Isekaya, which is about, you know, an Isekaya restaurant in another world. And so it's one of those in another world type stories. Basically, people who are like mid-century european type fantasy guys they go to an izakaya and they're like whoa karage that's amazing or whatever but the episode about sushi where the foreigners have sushi for the first time in the plot they go so insane that they're just like <laughs> raw meat what what they, i, I, I want to get my parents to eat sushi before uh they leave this planet and go back to their home world but uh oh they still never had it no no but i mean uh i think just the idea of something being from a different culture can put you off even if the food is familiar because uh i wanted my mom to eat some sort of like you know exotic in quotes food when she was visiting here so we went out for ramen and she was just like very nervous and anxious but i had to be like hey mom it's soup you like soup right it was sort of like the roles were reversed and it's like mm. when i was a kid my mom was trying to talk me into eating things and now it's just like no it's soup you like soup it has noodles and broth it's fun on menus when they say things like oh okonomiyaki that's japanese pizza i'm just like uh well i guess you could reduce it to that like but i understand why <laughs> they do that we call this a crunch patty to, like <laughs> it's like you want people to think like like oh okay there's some familiarity here even though i would not say pizza is that similar to okonomiyaki i was lied to by all the animes that it told me it was and then when i finally had when i and i liked it the first time i've had it though i've i've never every time i've gone to one in japan i've not been trusted to make it myself they the the servers are like we got this like, that's not why i'm there anyways yeah, that's true <laughs> No, I, you know, uh, the first time I went to a, a ramen dedicated place uh, with my mom as well, I had to, her, it wasn't that she'd never heard of it before, but I had to tell her like, this is not the 25 cent a bag ramen. This is better than that. So, yeah. I had to tell friends back home that, but I was saying, oh, uh, when I went to, when I lived in Southern California in 2010, a friend took me to a ramen restaurant for the first time. I'd never had non-freeze-dried packet ramen. And I was telling folks at home that they're like, they have ramen restaurants in LA. That's crazy. Thinking they're just dumping the uh, like cup noodle in a pot and selling it to you for like 20 bucks. It's like, no, no, it's different. It's mm. different. The noodles are handmade and there's all these ingredients. But it was it was hard for them to get over that. Like, oh, it's not the thing you eat in college. The, mm. the brick of noodles. Yeah, it's interesting how instant ramen was uh, first well known here before the real stuff. And I had friends in college who would just eat the bricks like a candy bar. You know, my husband did that, too. He says <laughs> like he well, uh, my, my husband's Filipino and he says that. It's like dry noodles are just like a, a more normal snack thing for him. They, yeah. they sell a snack dry ramen that's seasoned and stuff. I think it's easier to chew, it's, though. It's not the same. Okay. Like, I'm also someone who loves eating just uh, the brick of ramen uh, without <laughs> cooking it. And I know they have the snack version, like, 
of it, but it's not the same. I, uh, the real brick of ramen. We are like three minutes into the show. We're talking yeah. so much about food, but I will say I'm not above <laughs> eating dry ramen in that I'll, I'll, I'll drop the, uh, the you know the brick into the into the uh, boiling water but then i'll like get the little remnants in my hand and scoop them into my mouth so i'm not above this people so you're not saying you're be- uh, you're better than us no no <laughs> in other ways yes but not in this way uh but fair uh, enough but yeah after a bunch of please dadding they decide to go they they go to the happy sumo uh which it's a it's a cute little neon sign and it, it to me does have the feel of like uh for where i grew up like the feel of the strip mall japanese restaurant or we the last time me and you went to la i think we ate at like a couple strip mm-hmm. mall japanese uh places which was not it was not worse quality food but it was just funny that the you know it was a japanese style restaurant but in the hole in the wall of a uh, strip mall sumo that's another thing that got mocked a lot in the 90s mm-hmm. maybe it still does maybe not as much maybe people are more um sensitive about that but like um sumo was often made fun of and that's something my mom always hated seeing she's like oh like people here just make fun of or yeah. uh make fun of sumo all the time when it's like a big respected thing in japan it's not just giant fat guys in, <laughs> in diapers which I don't, I don't like when people call them diapers like hey mm. have some respect <laughs> Yeah, I think it was, I mean, the joke was like, oh, yeah, Japan is wacky backwards world and all their athletes are out of shape and they wear diapers. It was just like the easiest joke in the world. Like, first of all, like, they're not all just like fat guys. Like, look up Chiyo no Fuji. He's like one of the most uh, famous sumo wrestlers of all time. He's like super built. He's like E. Honda in real life. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love how fit e-, e. Honda is such a badass. And he owns his, his own like bathhouses and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I if, if I were to marry any member of the Street Fighter roster, I think it'd be him, but. But, uh, but well, I also think for a lot of uh, Harvard comedy writers, like say the guys on SNL too, mm-hmm. they liked the comedic possibilities of sumo wrestling because, like Al Franken, for example, he was like, "Oh, we'll do a sumo sketch," which was really just an excuse to have their asses hanging out in a oh, sketch. Oh yeah, and they could say like, "No, no, it's culturally respectful." Like so, and it was really just so they could get something past a censor. Like, what there was like a period on TV where people would wear those in inflatable sumo suits and fight each other mm-hmm. like on game shows and kids shows do you remember those oh i've worn oh, one yeah. of those you've worn actually. one yeah. henry uh, what <laughs> Look, participating hey, in appropriation it was 2001 it was hang normal. your head in shame <laughs> where did this happen uh well so it was uh grad night i i don't know if you guys uh, know that practice but in nope. Uh, well, so on graduation day in uh, some cities in America, and this was in mine, there is a very big and, and real concern that after graduating, all the kids are going to go out drinking and die in drunk driving accidents. And then, and so communities sponsor grad nights where it's like, okay, go to this place. We will give you free things, but uh, like food, drinks, uh, uh, sodas, uh, not alcoholic drinks, soft drinks, and you know, play games and stuff. And so at that too was put on the sumo suit. And it was like, I, I think of wearing that sumo suit is the last time I talked to one of the people I had gone, <laughs> through all of school with who i'd never see again after high school and we both just slammed into each other in the sumo suits and and uh you know it was a different time guys uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry during I'm my sorry. grad night i went home and played vagrant story for the playstation <laughs> there was no drinking or fun 
Uh, I, Bob I, wins. <laughs> I had it was where all my friends in the AP classes were going. Mm. I didn't have other friends, just my AP nerd friends. I, I do want to talk about the guests on this show. Yes, uh, yeah. A lot of Japanese actors uh, who are in America, Japanese Americans, and if you look at their other roles, it was like, oh, we need a Japanese person on uh, Coach or Ellen or whatever, and they would fill the role. So uh, the Master Chef is uh, Sab Shimono, who is also later the voice of Mr. Sparkle, mm-hmm. and of course uh, there are other guest stars like Joey Miyashima as Toshiro, Diane Tanaka as Hostess, again, uh, Japanese-American character actors, and also George Takei as Akira, named after Akira Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. And what I mean, Toshiro is named after Toshiro Mifune. I, I'd so. even think of that, yeah. <laughs> so the two, the two Japanese names, most Americans knew that. Yeah. And Akira would sort of become a recurring character, but in the future, it would just be Hank doing his Sulu impression. Akira is the karate instructor. They go back to Akira in the Mr. Sparkle episode to read the box. And later, Takei would be back as a Wink, in 30 minutes over Tokyo and a few more times after that but I don't think he ever played Akira again I don't think so I I was looking up the lives of these I mean everybody knows about George Takei he's you know he's he's quite a, a, a social media guy these days but I mean man his life like you know a very rough life like born in LA at age five he was in an internment camp in in 19 I, I mean the concentration camps by America but anyway uh, 1942 is in that became a working actor in Hollywood as a Japanese American right after World War II like how and on top of that he has to be a closeted homosexual like he's in the closet the whole time like it's it's quite a life he had and then becomes you know uh for his time the most famous japanese american actor on tv i would say thanks to star trek uh and i did i looked into the life of sab shimono he is so interesting too he's also he's a berkeley graduate Uh, uh, and but yeah saburo is his full name but he goes by sab shimono and yeah he's like he is a broadway legend like he has been mm. in the works of Stephen Sondheim and worked with Angela Lansbury in the original cast of Mame. An incredibly gifted performer. When I looked and saw that he had done a performance like three years ago here at at the Berkeley Rep. I was like, oh, man, I wish I'm really regretting not seeing that now. You like, could have signed your Mr. Sparkle box. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm sure you would love that. <laughs> like, hey, I, uh, you're, uh, you're the decades and decades of your career as a, st- a TV and film and s- stage legend. Could you sign the cartoon of the of the Simpsons character you did for two minutes? I hope he's proud of his role as Mr. Sparkle. I, hope I was so in too. the uh, in Marjorie Trust episode, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we talked a bit about uh, Sab Shimono there. We've got two openly gay Japanese-American actors in this, George Takei and Sab Shimono. Mm. Wow. Uh, I, I wow. was happy on the commentary they do say Takei. I know I've said Takei a lot in my oh, lifetime. I've said it many times. Uh, yeah. I hear that a lot, too. I can't. It kills me every time. <laughs> I've I've learned. I've learned now. So, okay. Now it's time for my theory yes. on why I think they did this. Now, you definitely hear Mike Reese on the commentary say it was a PC choice mm-hmm. to be politically correct and hire the correct actors. And Graining is talking about how, you know, he wanted it to not be gibberish said by characters and it to be a little more respectful. But I also think that it is specifically in the case with the Japanese characters that a Japanese American person on Simpsons is a very powerful producer on Ah. the show and could probably have more of an effect of saying hey no that's insulting like we're you're not doing that and and I'm talking about Richard Sakai of course who gets parodied so my bigger theory is that I definitely think Matt Groening supported it too but I also think Richard Sakai to a degree also said no 
let's get Japanese actors for this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they goof on Richard Sakai in this episode. <laughs> as it get my personal theory is that it is sort of a, a poke back at him of like you made us cast all these actors and go to all this extra work. Well, now we're going to make fun of you singing karaoke and and uh, draw you into the show. Yeah, he gets his own scene in this episode, which is wild. And uh, you, I think we talked about it before, but on uh, on season three, you can see some storyboards for episodes, and uh, Matt Groening has annotated all of them. And uh, I believe on one of them, uh, he writes, you know, watch your caricatures. Richard Sakai was not happy about the sushi episode. I'm just paraphrasing. I, I can't speak for Sakai. I think the caricatures of the main staff are, are perfectly fine and not offensive. But if you look in the background of the karaoke scene, there are some real like one step removed from 1940s Bugs Bunny cartoon. Very squinty eyed men. Uh, obviously, they don't go as far as like having the buck teeth or whatever. But I, I want to say that's probably what he was talking about. They didn't spend as much time on those characters. I was going to bring it up when we got to this, but the Richie Sakai uh, karaoke scene, I've never understood that scene. I would be like, why is this here? This isn't funny, I don't think. Does this get cut in syndication at least? Because it feels like it's completely, unless you work on the show, it, it just comes out of nowhere. I, I think it's I, I want to say the joke is this uh, it's Dan Castellaneta doing a very like meek like uh, wiener little voice uh, he's an anesthesiologist but then he belts out this share song mm-hmm. and I listened to the song on the way over here and I was like if I get hit by a car and someone's like what was this guy what was this guy listening to before he died share yeah and that'll be in the newspaper <laughs> like apparently he loves share uh, I mean yeah I guess you know uh, karaoke was pretty new in america then too in the i i think it is maybe the joke is just about the novelty of oh isn't it funny to see a person who seems very meek and timid but once the music starts oh they become a whole different person is that is that funny and i mean while richard sakai himself he's on one commentary at the very start of the simpsons movie yeah. commentary and then he goes away like he's he is this silent producer on the show he is a non-writing producer on the show uh and there are some things that allege he's not the greatest guy but he's uh, one thing for sure is that he is one of jim brooks's like top men like he's produced on most of his things uh done for gracie films since the mid 80s and he's worked with him and he's you know gotten very rich off that he's he's a one a very powerful tv and film producer the unauthorized simpsons history book alleges from numerous anonymous sources that characterize sakai as the hatchet man for brooks that Mm. if there's bad news that needs to be said or if somebody uh needs to be the bad guy in uh, on the job uh that sakai is the guy who's do that and he's not known for being particularly nice if he has to break bad news to people that uh, that was how he's characterized in the unauthorized simpsons history and and similar is alleged about sakai in the alf clausen lawsuit that's still ongoing at the time Mm. of this recording which uh, is that you know that matt selman jim brooks and richard skyron the record is saying they were disappointed with clausen and that they wanted to let him go but i believe sakai was the man who called him and said we're letting you go like it was sakai who was the choice there but but aside from that like again he almost does no interviews like 
there's i did find a funny interview with the creator of usagi ojimbo whose last name is sakai stan sakai right? Stan sakai he got into an early screening of the simpsons in hollywood because he showed up to it and they're like he said his name is sakai and they're like oh it must be richard let him in and like, he, <laughs> he got, uh, it was a oh, great but yeah you'll see uh you'll see this caricature of richard sakai all throughout the simpsons you'll see his name uh pop up on like every episode so that that's the mystery of richard sakai mm-hmm. well if he's a reason why they went with the authentic casting here like this is why it it matters to have a diverse staff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i think i when i hear some of the uh, grousing about like this was too pc I wonder if they're annoyed that perhaps a higher up who was not white set was offended by something. I can totally understand. I would be on Richard Sakai's side if he had said, hey, you can't just have the Japanese characters just say a, a bunch of nonsense. Like, and I don't I don't want to hear Hank Azaria just do a bunch of like things that sounds like Japanese. And I will say from after this episode until I, I believe like January, if you see an Asian woman on the screen and she's about to open her mouth, here comes Tress McNeil. Yes. It's always Tress McNeil. I, I think you can vouch for this, Nina, and that we were watching a ton of episodes and like from se- in, the, in the 20s, but like every time it was an Asian woman, it was always Tress. Not just his cookie Kwan, just like if an Asian woman had to talk, Maggie Roswell's not doing it. Pamela Hayden's not doing it. Tress was your choice for that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know why they don't get the other uh, female voice actors they usually have to do those voices. Is it because Tress always does an Asian accent? Maybe and the they're other like, women can't do an accent. Maybe they're like, oh, Tress is just the best at this all-purpose Asian accent that she does. I mean, she is like a very funny voice actress, and I think they like her. I would say intense voice she does for Japanese for Asian women sometimes, which I I don't think Cookie Kwan's ever going to speak no. again. I think I well, <laughs> they could the, recast her. I, I I yeah, but her voice would have to change entirely. Like I don't think a Chinese American actor or uh, Korean American. I'm sorry, I forget. I believe she's Chinese, Cookie Kwan. But I wonder what Chinese American actress would want to do mm. that type of voice for the character. But yeah, I'm not trying to throw her under the bus. I just find it interesting that this was the time they were careful about it but after that they're just like oh what's tress up to lately even though like just because the character is asian doesn't mean they have to have an accent mm-hmm. you just that have too it. yeah <laughs> An American accent. No, it's, uh, I mean, it was only this year that uh, Jenny Yokobori uh, took over the role of Kumiko in the series. Like, I think the first, the first uh, Asian American regular voice actor on the show. And, and she puts on an accent for that character. Mm-hmm. I guess because the character is supposed to, is, is born, is Japanese and not well, born in America. She's following in the footsteps of Tress McNeil's performance, oh, sure. which was an accented yeah, character. So- so I'm saying like um, they could recast Cookie Kwan and, and you know, they could have a, a Chinese American actor uh, do an accent, but it would be a more authentic accent. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Uh, but yes, they, the characters all arrive for sushi. And uh, I, I like the timidness of everybody in this clip. Oh, that music. <laughs> Please do not be alarmed. Our chefs are just saying hello. Oh, okay. Hello! This is our karaoke bar. Now it is empty, but soon it will be hopping with drunken Japanese businessmen. I am Akira Yoweta. May I take your order? Mm, what would you recommend for a family that's not sure they should be here? The sushi supply is a little bit of everything. It is very non-threatening. 
Well, I'll have one of those. Make it two. Akira, my good man. I'd like two sharks, an octopus, and an eel. Very good. Do you have any giant squid? The kind that drags men to their deaths? Not today. That's uh, Yeah, so hard to choose. It all looks so terrible. Just bring me one of these, and one of these, and one of those. I, I like that sample of play. I, I like that Marge can be so directive. Like, we're all very scared yeah. right now. Okay, let's, we don't know if should be here. not intimidating. And that must say, seeing my parents thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and that would scare. I'm laughing at that. That <laughs> yeah. would scare white people. I'm sure it startled me the first time I went to an authentic Japanese <laughs> restaurant because they don't all do that. They don't all say that when you come in. But yeah. the, I, I appreciate it now. I think the one that does it the most is the ramen place, uh, Ipudo in Berkeley. Oh, yeah. Everybody shouts it at you. I love that. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know. No, when when they um, welcome you so loudly when you come in and say goodbye so loudly when you leave, I feel a little self conscious. <laughs> well, now it's like I'm the star of the show. I, I'm I'm the star of the Wait, restaurant show for a few seconds here. Like, don't call attention to me. People don't need to know that I've entered or I'm leaving. But I'm also someone who doesn't really like to announce when I'm leaving. I, I don't uh, say goodbye. I just um I'm gone out the window. That's like called Batman. the Irish goodbye uh, or Batman. So style. stop appropriating my culture, Nina. <laughs> Uh, I guess, you know, on the goodbye uh, one, when I'm waddling out like full of ramen broth, maybe that is, I'm like, don't look at me. <laughs> but, uh, it's not like they like yell out what you're actually, though. No, they, I guess you do sometimes yell out what you've ordered because they that, yell to each other. That would, I would be that more embarrassed by, too. I would be more embarrassed <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't until I listened to the commentary track about uh, this 20 years ago that I didn't realize it was an oversized bottle of uh, oh. duff or duff. Duffaha, I think. Duffahama. Duffahama. Yeah. Uh, I miss, again, I miss restaurants. Maybe I'll go to one by the time this episode goes live. But uh, getting the giant Japanese beer is always fun because it's a low ABV. It's so light. It's fun to drink. Mm. I love it. It's meant to be split with other people, but I just have it for myself. Me too. Oh, yeah. They can get their own. <laughs> when I love the process of like, and here's your chilled glass to pour it into. Ah, like, ah, perfect. so nice. Yeah. I mean, the Japanese beer is so light that you can easily down one of those giant bottles by yourself. Mm -hmm. No, I, uh, that's what I love about Japanese beer. I don't, I don't like heavy hoppy beers. Like I, I prefer Japanese style beer, but uh, though I'm, I'm more of a, the, the plum wine. I really love plum wine on, on the rocks and stuff. But, but yes, then of course, I mean, if they're going to do sushi jokes, they got to do karaoke jokes. Mm -hmm. So, Oh, I noticed some of the writing in this oh, scene. Oh, okay. Like, so the Mad Asadi restaurant, it says Amagi, which uses the symbols for heaven and castle, which might come from the Amagi-class battlecruiser ship. Like, that's the only thing I could find. Uh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> the only thing notable I could find that has the name Amagi in it. And the banner in the background inside, it says Tanoshi Sumo or Happy Sumo hmm. in, like, incredibly bad handwriting. But somehow <laughs> I can tell that's what it says. And, like, the waitress is wearing a kimono, and it's folded the wrong way. Hmm. Um, it's supposed to be... Like in relation to the wearer, left over right, and the other way is only done on dead people. I thought and so. Like this is by, yeah, this is by far the most common mistake I see whenever anyone non-Japanese draws a kimono. So I always look out for that, and it's also the easiest to look up, like especially nowadays. But the easiest way to remember is to imagine um, a lowercase y. Okay. That's how you know it's the right way. Hmm. Okay. So if you see it the wrong way, that person is dead. Yeah, that's, that's run. <laughs> uh, I well, I with the writing being so bad in the background, I just think of like. Probably in America, the background is painted or designed by somebody who doesn't know the language. And then it's sent to the animators in Seoul, Korea to then 
dry like it it's just through so many different uh hands i, I can see why i get i'm glad it's at least yeah. legible though i i appreciate that they put in the effort like yeah. they obviously found someone to translate happy sumo into japanese and write it out maybe it was richard sakai who knows well then richard sakai's character appears in real life his uh, his wife's name is amber hmm. uh, but um but he sings a song that the title of which is uh now pretty insensitive it, it seemed normal to use the term gypsy back then uh but you don't don't do that if you're somebody who still says that word know that it is offensive and you probably should take that out of so when you sing this at karaoke you should call it like maybe gummies yeah gummies tramps and we, we can't talk about pacific rim anymore <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes we we get a bunch of karaoke and fugu in this next clip my name is richie sakai i'm an anesthesiologist and I'd like to dedicate this next song to my wife, Patty. I was born in the wagon of a traveling show. Mama used to dance for the money they threw. Papa would do whatever he could. Oh, oh, and two of these things. A two uni. And oh, oh, I don't believe I've tried the flying fish roll. I recommend it with a roll quail egg on top. Dear the doctor. <laughs> So that's why they wanted to do this they found out that in fugu they could just say something that sounds like fuck over and also a fan fugutastic yeah uh originally in nell's script or pitch uh bart and lisa were going to be singing carly simon and james taylor's mockingbird Mm. shaft is a funnier choice but i know as a kid i was just like i i don't know what this is totally lost uh the 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 word shaft was not associated with a penis when i was eight (laughs) at least not to me and only when i was a teenager did i realize like oh it's funny they're singing this kind of naughty song from a movie they shouldn't know about bad mother shut your mouth yeah that a uh, bit uh, black private dick sex machine to all the chicks yeah they they tell the funny story that the censors almost didn't let him do it until they could prove by showing isaac hayes singing it at the oscars for the year it got it won and so showing like see this was sung on television 20 years ago you can do this on tv it's a cute scene but i think they could cut out all the karaoke scenes <laughs> it was just such a novel idea for americans in 1991 just like oh people do this and i think the idea of like the idea of like the salary man was new too which is they kind of riff on in this a little bit with the waitress saying oh drunk businessmen come here every night and that that is where the uh, less uh good caricatures are that's the guys yeah. nodding along to their singing yeah this isn't even how like most people in japan like to do karaoke yeah They're like the private booths this is the more American style, you know, performance instead uh, in fr- a bar karaoke. Not I once I got did my first private room. I'm like, oh, I never want to do Same other here. karaoke again. Like, no 
way. I could never do the American style. No way. It's crazy to think that. I mean, I guess that is a very American thing of like, no, you do it in front of everybody. You have the one. I've seen these guys. The last time I was at a bar that did American style karaoke, it was a guy who got up and he's like, I always do Love Shack and I sing it the exact same way every time he was so he was a little he was a little too proud of how he sang Love Shack I think I, I graduated to Japanese style karaoke which is when you're in a private room with all your friends and whatnot but I did uh, quite a bit of this kind of karaoke in my 20s but to be fair when I started doing it in the night I was very drunk mm -hmm. so it's like you start very drunk and you just go on from there <laughs> did you have a go-to song that you did uh, Madonna's Like a Prayer which I still do to this day yeah I love that one <laughs> that, that didn't I think that that and Birdhouse are two of your favorite. Oh, and uh, Christmas at Ground Zero. That's yes. another of your favorites. Uh, Weird Al Spam was also fun. <laughs> if, if REM Stand is not there, Weird Al Spam might be there. And they're the same song. I don't know any of these songs. <laughs> well, you're going to find out next time we hang out. Uh, the last time I did the karaoke in Japan, I loved that they had, they had much deeper cuts of like, oh, this is every Weezer song from Pinkerton you have in this. That's Ooh. amazing. Or like... Uh, I did Streets of Fire, which is a film that it was really big in Japan in the 80s. I, I could finally sing one of those songs. They had it on in the, the karaoke machine at the, the place I went to in uh, Shinjuku that they didn't. I never see it on anything in America. Oh, speaking of karaoke and Weezer, like I'm not a Weezer fan, but I heard that the uh, cover album they did recently was really bad. So I finally listened to it. I was like, oh, my God. People uh, are right. This is terrible. Nina, you're not a Weezer uh, fan, and it tears me up every day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate them. I just never got into them. Uh, well, especially well, after this cover album I listened to, and not going to get into them now. No, it's like you're supposed to put a spin, your own special spin on a song if you cover it. Mm -hmm. But they just do like a karaoke version. Weezer will play your wedding now. Yes, yeah. I, <laughs> and do I get, well, let's talk about Fugu, huh? Let's talk, uh, like, uh, I've... I've never eaten it probably because I was terrified from this episode. I I don't see it available. You know, you I think it's well. It's also apparently very expensive. Mm. If you're getting the real kind, of like I I was just thinking of Homer's bill the entire time with all this. Like, yeah, it's, this uh, upper lower middle class family cannot afford a sushi dinner for four. <laughs> and I guess Maggie's there too. Yeah, like he was ordering like two pieces of uni. That's uh, sea urchin, which I'm not a big fan of, but it's, I don't like it's it. Very expensive. Yeah, I've yeah. only I only ever had uni one time where it was at a a very expensive place where you just get this you know the chef's picks and that was it and i was like I, I, I liked it all right i you know salmon roe i normally would never order either but uh, from the from that chef i was like oh that was pretty tasty like i i just the the little the little eggs i i don't like it as much but uh, oh i love it the flying fish roe he was ordering is tobiko yeah, it is sometimes served with a raw quail egg on top, and it's great. I, I do like the salmon roe more, though. That's ikura. I, I should try that flying fish one, see if I like it more. The, I, but yeah, so I, I did a little research into it. First off, that I think from reading on the Wikipedia page, there was a 1981 New York Times article about it that I think is what first told spread the news among okay. americans that like there's this killer sushi <laughs> and it's killing japanese people like uh and and in that article cited a number as as many as 176 people a year died from it up to 1981 i then watched a 2015 uh bbc news story on it where they they talked to a top uh fugu chef rikizo okamoto who uh, runs a fugu specialty restaurant and in that one they said 
This is in 2015. They say at most in recent years, three people have died from it. And in all, they said in those cases, it was because an amateur caught mm. one of the puffer fish and didn't d prepare it correctly to remove the toxins. Yeah, it was. They weren't from restaurants. I, yeah, I would never. I wouldn't want to risk it though. Like, how honestly, how good can it be? <laughs> yeah, I bet you would have it and be like, yeah, that's okay, I guess. I don't know what his sources are, and again, this is 20 years ago on the commentary. Macarening said apparently it's the coral they feed on that makes them poisonous, and uh, farm-raised yes. ones are not poisonous. Yeah, it, poisonous. the poison comes from the fugu eating other things with toxic bacteria in it. So, and they the fish themselves become immune to it. So they just breed non-poisonous fugu by feeding them non-toxic stuff. Yeah, I so uh, in the 2015 BBC story two uh, with Okamoto, they also mentioned that you know you can buy farm-raised non-toxic, you can ship them out already carved up to America. Like if you're if you're eating one of those puffer fish, it was likely shipped from over uh, seas from Japan or another Asian. country country but that top level chefs like okamoto uh they run fugu only restaurants uh like apparently in the near the uh, asakusa temple in tokyo there's a lot of fugu specialty places and he runs one of them and he talks about like part of the appeal is that he goes to the fish markets and buys fresh wild caught fugu that are still toxic so you know that the implicit risk is there that he's like no 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 this is clean <laughs> properly we could buy farmed rays but and i i think the uh the news story portrayed it as the the connoisseurs of it they're like no you can taste the difference between a wild and a farmed rays mm -hmm. like and they 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 pay extra for it and i definitely think it's kind of a date they they portrayed it as being also sort of a date night thing of like ooh, isn't this a fun risk we're doing together and also <laughs> and also home. i'm spending like two hundred dollars to to have a big platter of sashimi uh a fugu sashimi yeah no thanks <laughs> if you go to the the uh wikipedia article for fugu there's so many like instances of people dying from this stuff my favorite case though was in 2011 a chef at a place called uh, fugu fukuji served fugu liver like the liver is a, the toxic part he mm. served it to a customer who demanded it <laughs> I want to and, die now. <laughs> yeah. He said fugu me. Yeah. So he, he had it and he went to the hospital with mild paralysis, but he recovered. But I think the chef like lost his license because of that. Uh, that's probably for the best. And yeah. That's, uh, well, that's also, uh, yes. When you read more things about how the toxic uh, toxin works on people, then they should know instantly Homer is not poisoned because he is not asphyxiating yeah. and slowly losing his ability to breathe. It, the At least from the description, I read that the toxin makes you numb at first and slowly you stop breathing. It does not make your heart explode. It's a, it's a mystery ailment Homer has that is cleared up with no reason, but you know, Nell has her problems with that and there are uh, there was going to be a different ending with different, you know, results and things mm. like that, but we'll talk more about that later. But uh, yes, Homer Homer demands his fugu. Meanwhile, the master chef leaves uh, to <laughs> to get to get uh, to get some side piece action. Here. Yes, uh, this started uh, uh, maybe like two or three years of jokes uh, of Mrs. Krabappel being loose, mm. and uh, in the future they play up her you know uh, sexual freedom as not a not a joke. It would be uh, kind of you know put against Skinner's uptightness for <laughs> sake of humor. But in this, it's more like she's a loose single woman. 
and uh, you can hear. So the, the one of her lines was cut from this episode, or maybe not even recorded. In that you can hear when they're in the car together, you can hear the Master Chef saying, "Oh, your hair smells so clean." <laughs> and apparently, according to Nell Scovel, the cut line Krabappel had was, "Oh, Mister Hirohito, can you really get me a futomaki roll?" So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad that character's name wasn't said as Hirohito. Hirohito, that's, that's yeah. A, that's a bit. It's like learn learn one other Japanese name than the emperor in world war ii so there's the- I, I was more fixated on the futomaki roll line that's lewd yeah, yeah. oh yeah <laughs> uh i i well you know i will say i've i've heard you know one of the complaints about stereotypical writing of asian characters in, in american stuff is that asian men are often written as like sexless mm-hmm. and and too timid or whatever so it's certainly against that stereotype that the head chef is you know making out hardcore in his backseat and like <laughs> having sex during work he's like i've got i have 20 minutes with krabappel in the backseat of this car <laughs> you don't get a second date with a krabappel or second chance rather yes yeah <laughs> uh, i forgot to mention I thought, I thought i thought there was the opposite like aren't there like jokes in um this era of comedy where the foreign character is like like a sex maniac I think it's, it's a woman. I think it's more played up that they're you know curious virgins who are just completely inexperienced, not like a man who can have sex, casual sex when he wants to. Right. I guess I like Long Duck Dong. Yeah, I'd exactly. Say. Yeah. Which yeah, he'd be a, he'd be a voice in The Simpsons in the future. He would. Yeah. <laughs> Getty uh, Watanabe. I also just like uh, Shimono's acting in this is so funny. Like yeah. I just I love how he just screams like at him because he's he's really I mean he's a great actor. So he's in the moment of like I don't want my assistant to stop me having sex. Get get away from me. Uh, but but yes, I have a little clip of that too. Master, you are needed in the kitchen. I said cover for me, damn it! But master, we need your skilled hands. My skilled hands are busy. You do it! Hmm. <laughs> poison, poison, tasty fish. Concentrate, concentrate. I want ah! Fogu! <laughs> Mmm, fan fugu tastic. Beautiful language, isn't it, Mark? God's sake, don't eat another bite! Oh, I couldn't possibly. Mr. Simpson, son, I shall be brunt. We have reason to believe you have eaten poison. Poison? What should I do? What should I do? Tell me quick. Oh, no need to panic. There's a map to the hospital on the back of the menu. <laughs> it's, it's funny because you can see that map throughout all the scenes. <laughs> true, yes. <laughs> oh, man, I love that tasty fish line. I always think that to myself whenever I have fish. If <laughs> <laughs> you're ever cutting up fish, tasty fish. Also, what was he using to cut up that blowfish? It looked like a pirate sword. No, yeah, yeah, it's like a giant cutlass, not 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 the normal sushi cutting. Uh, te- well, then again, earlier, the master chef does a sushi cutting technique I don't normally see of throwing the fish in the air and chopping it mm. super yeah, fast. It's like a fruit ninja. Yeah. Uh, they do use a special knife to cut su- uh, fugu, apparently. Mm. Like they keep it separate from the other knives, which is a good idea. I think yeah, yeah. it doesn't look like a, a pirate sword, though. 
in the original uh, draft or original pitch of this episode, one of the jokes was going to be, and I'm glad they cut this out, is that when they find out Homer is poisoned, the master chef tells the junior chef, you must uh-huh. do the honorable thing. So uh, he gets the ornamental sword down from the wall, and instead of killing himself with it, he runs away. <laughs> So there was a, a there was joke. a ritual suicide joke because yeah. it was one of those it's 1990 what do I know about Japanese people of course ritual suicide it's going in the script no, no, that would have been a great fake out. Yeah. I do like the idea that he was pretending to do that to just steal a nice sword and take it with him. <laughs> you know, the, this episode is notable to me because um, it's the first time I left a comment on the podcast. The first oh, time wow. you guys uh, visit, visited this episode, uh, you were afraid that like Homer going, oh, beautiful language, isn't it, Marge, might be uh, seen as offensive somehow. And I remember leaving a comment saying like, oh, I don't see it as Homer exoticizing the language because the joke is they're obviously fighting and yeah. Homer is oblivious to that. And when my parents saw this, they thought this was hilarious too. Cause like they were speaking actual Japanese and I actually, actually tell you what they're saying. The Ooh. chef is saying, you fed him poison. What were you thinking? You idiot. And the apprentice is going, hold on, hold on a second. And like, when he says like, you idiot, he goes, Bakero. and um, my parents had a good laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're right. It is, it is a good joke that Homer is hearing people that mostly, even if you don't know the language, you could probably tell through context that they are yelling at each other and not happy and and homer views it as a ah, beautiful language i do see it that way now yes. it's homer being oblivious mm-hmm. uh i and yeah i watched that uh in that video i watched the chef do the full uh taking apart of uh it's it's not the most appetizing thing to watch but mm. if you want to see how it is done with with the fugu it actually is that involved because i was like oh i thought you'd probably just take out the guts but no the skin is very toxic too so you have to very carefully mm. remove all of the skin and all the entrails and make sure all that's gone first before you can start cutting up the 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 tasty fish mm. as they say yeah, in? It's like the, the liver, ovaries, eyes, and skin mostly. Mm-hmm. That's like a ovaries. lot of the fish. <laughs> <laughs> Don't throw away those ovaries. Uh, I was going to say that uh, in the episode, they leave the sushi restaurant here and they never come back to it. In Nell's original idea in script, there are a few different ideas floating around in that in the uh, original draft or whatever, the idea was that the sushi restaurant overcharges them on accident. Homer's about to die. They call. They say, we overcharged you $6. You can come by and pick it up whenever you want. That is what gives Homer the will to live, getting $6 <laughs> back. So he pukes up the poison and they get the money back. The other alternate idea for that was, going back to the restaurant, was Homer's okay and the Japanese restaurant then charges them for the meal because it's like, well, Homer didn't die, so we want we want your money for the meal now. So they're originally going to have a call back to the restaurant, but Marge should be actively getting Lionel Hutz on the line saying, this restaurant killed my husband. Yeah. We need to shut them down and take all their money. Maybe that was an after Homer dies idea. Yeah, I got, once you're dead, then we'll sue him. Yeah, I... <laughs> but I, I do like the idea, Homer, what gives him the will to live is getting six bucks back. Mm-hmm. That That's funny. And I, I totally agree with Scoville that she should be annoyed that it's just never explained. Like, he's like, well, he's told he's going to die, then he doesn't. The, the closest is, and I, I got it in the clip, is that Hibbert tells him it's likely you have eaten the poison. I assume it is. So that is the closest you get to a gray area explanation that, but they, they never, at the very least at the end, they could have come back to that line of saying like, well, Hibbert did said it was likely. So I guess that guy actually did carve up the, the fish correctly. 
so, so when she talks about the writing of this episode, was was a whole uh, episode supposed to be centered around Homer thinks he's dying? It's uh, I like mean that's it, always been the main thing. Definitely act it in. I think in even the earliest bit of her full pitch, Act One is they go to a sushi restaurant, and Act Two is homer dealing with thinking he's going to die yeah yes i mean we said we said it earlier but sam simon's idea was like oh yeah act one he gets over the poison and then that encourages him to become a community theater star (laughs) he gives him something to live for but they decided to go with the bucket list idea and it it all started with uh you know act two is just like okay nell write down a bunch of things you know homer should do before he dies it's gonna be little sketches in the show yeah so nell always wanted to be that but the other writers thought like oh we could take it into wacky town (laughs) yeah i believe nell said her grandma uh, her uh, her saying was before you die you should have a child plant a tree and write a book mm-hmm. yeah i i also there was another mm-hmm. dynamic they lost that i think it would have been interesting if they kept it in was that instead of everybody being bored the reason they went to sushi was that it was lisa's birthday yeah and they didn't want to so like homer that was another reason they didn't want her to know because it would ruin her birthday like oh what you chose killed your father lisa take that lisa's (laughs) beliefs yeah take that do i gotta play the sound uh i guess because it's for an alternate version of the show that never exists (laughs) take that lisa's beliefs There we go. The well, famous... Bob and I have both written a book. Mm. We're not going to have a kid, but we can plant a tree one day. Mm-hmm. I'm putting off that tree planting for a while. But, the kid uh, is a bird. Yeah, the kid is a bird. In this case. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yes, Homer is finding out some bad news. Um, your wife agreed that I should break this to you. No need, Doc. I can read Marge like a book. Hmm. Ooh, it's good news, isn't it? No, Mr. Simpson. If, in fact, you've consumed the venom of the blowfish, and from what the chef has told me, it's quite probable, you have 24 hours to live. 24 hours? Well, 22. I'm sorry I kept you waiting so long. (laughs) Oh, Mark, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. (laughs) Well, if there's one consolation, it's that you'll feel no pain at all until sometime tomorrow evening when your heart suddenly explodes. Now, a little death anxiety is normal. Uh, You can expect to go through five stages. The first is denial. No way, because I'm not dying. Second is anger. Why, you little... After that... Comes fear. What's after fear? What's after fear? Bargaining. Doc, you gotta get me out of this. I'll make it worth your while. Finally, acceptance. Well, we all gotta go sometime. Mr. Simpson, <laughs> your progress astounds me. I, I should leave you two alone. Uh, perhaps this pamphlet will be helpful. So you're going to die. First of many pamphlet jokes mm. in the series. Yeah, so you've I, ruined your life. You know, now I like those pamphlet jokes even more. The, the joke is that Hibbert doesn't want an uncomfortable conversation. So he's like, eh, just read the pamphlet. Yeah. That, that does it. Here's some <laughs> literature for you. Yeah. And I mean, as a kid... I'm pretty sure I knew Homer wasn't going to die, but mm. I did buy into the drama of it and the stakes of it. Even now when I watch it, uh, I've seen it for like the 60th time, uh, 30 years later, I do buy into the stakes, even though I know like there's going to be 800 more episodes after this. I think they do a good job of that, making it real. And that was Jim Brooks's idea. Nell wrote a jokier script and he was like, no, no, make the drama real. Make this about the, the emotions. Mm. Yeah. Uh, despite the extremely heavy topic, they do help keep things light with the jokes i kind of wish there were more jokes though it's a little bit too serious for me uh for my taste but uh they, they strike a good balance and i think it's because of those lighter jokes 
I never really cared that much about Homer's fate for this episode. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we'll see how this plays out. It's good yeah. that they make him go through the stages of grief so fast or the stages of dying so fast, the Kubler-Ross thing, because the rest of the episode is like, he should be more affected by this, but he said he has, he has like obligations he has to do. He's not yeah. like lying in bed crying and just sick with grief. He's just like, all right, got to do this now. All right, now time to make a video. I, I love that right away. He just like sleeps in. It's a yeah. button. Now, That's a great joke. I constantly am telling myself, like, Lydon well, could never, if I found out I was about to die in 24 hours, or I found out my husband was, the, the same thing was going to happen to him, I would, uh, I could never sleep. I would just be sobbing the whole time. Like, it's just, uh, definitely since the last time we did it, now I am married and I do come at this more as an adult of like, well, how would I go through this in this kind of moment? Like it would just, I'm just thinking of like very heavy things that this episode, but fortunately, cause they go through the Kubler-Ross thing in five steps instantly. They're like, that's why nobody's crying most of the time. Like Marge, Marge is even told not to cry. Yeah. <laughs> He's the one who's I dying. Th I think if they did this episode in season one, it'd be a lot heavier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I, I, I feel like um, Bart failing a test is treated with more seriousness <laughs> than Homer dying. That is true, yeah. Uh, but also, we're pretty lucky that Homer's bucket list didn't have anything like, well, because I'm dying tomorrow, I'm going to go murder someone. I'm going to murder Mr. Burns finally or whatever. In four years, it would be, number one, kill Flanders. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. yeah. Uh, also, it's funny that uh, maybe just because I read all of Death Note in one month, but to hear Homer told that at a certain time his heart's going to explode, it just made me think. <laughs> it made me think of Death Note. That's uh, true. I guess I, I do like. It's like your heart will explode. Yes. Yeah. The poison will just make your heart burst. Uh, which, like, oh, I'll feel fine until eventually my heart explodes. It's like that is not a relaxing thing to learn, which is makes it a great joke. I listeners have heard me say it before, but I 100% bought into this when I was eight. Mm. I was sure Homer was dying. <laughs> it was actually made me really scared of the whole episode. The, so all of the things about Homer being sad he's about to die affected me much more. Like, I, I guess I had definitely seen so many cartoons to that point and but those were kids cartoons in the daytime this is a nighttime cartoon i think i felt it was different rules <laughs> and i i've told this story before but i was just reminded of it because on twitter there's the very helpful simpsons history account daily simpsons and i don't know how much they're doing it these days but when this episode hit its 30th anniversary they aired on twitch one time and they didn't store it because probably copyright but they played with all of the commercials that night's airing of it that somebody taped. And in that night's airing, in between acts two and three, there is a commercial for next week's episode, The Way We Was. Oh. And in my <laughs> mind, to my kid brain, I thought the Homer definitely dies here. And now they're rebooting the series <laughs> from high school. Are they going to start? I didn't know the word reboot then, but I was like, they're starting over from high school because Homer dies. Oh no. So I bought in. Interesting. Entirely. Wow. Wow. Yes. What a world that would have been if it's like, now it's that 70s show yes, uh, yeah. nine years earlier. <laughs> like I was a dumb kid who didn't know TV. <laughs> I also bought in every time of like Batman and Robin are definitely going to die this time <laughs> in the Adam West show. <laughs>
Uh, I like the concept of, ooh, this is a nighttime cartoon. You don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> All the are rules crazy. are off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Uh, but so, yeah, I have I told that story before, but watching the Daily Simpsons stream of it, I was like, I remember half of these commercials in my market as well. And my I was instantly traveled back to the feeling of seeing that commercial then. <laughs> Hibbert is a little jokier, but he's not Mr. Laughter yet either, though. Uh, and so yes we're finally done with the first act yeah uh, i think we'll have fewer notes than the rest of this one but um oh yeah i'm looking at my notes i have like pages for the first act the rest is just like meh <laughs> well yeah so homer you know as he's planning out his day i love these like he lacks the empathy that he thinks like marge why are you crying i'm the one dying why would you you're, you're not dying <laughs> and he wants uh, a classier rate a classier way to write have sex with marge yes i love i and he misspells intimate as well which uh actually i i have that clip because i just love how dan like trails off this is very natural acting here <laughs> Hello, Marge. Hello. I'm the one who's dying, not you. Oh, I'm sorry, Homer. Have you thought about what you want to tell the kids? Nothing. It'll just upset them. Mm. I want my last hours of family life to be happy ones. Mm. Well, have you decided what you want to do tomorrow? Almost. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Oh, good. Oh. Uh, I'm not done yet, Marge. Uh, what's that word you use for when you and I, you know... When we're intimate? Be intimate with Marge. I just love that he's like, he, uh, Homer has never needed to say in a polite way, have yeah. sex with her. But now he's, he's a, I mean, he, they already know the word snuggling, though, at this point, but... Yeah, this is before they started using the word snuggle, I think. Mm. Oh, yeah, I guess the big one is uh, in when Marge loses it on the highway. Mm -hmm. and he says he says snuggle. Yeah, but I, you know what? I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of like sexual euphemisms. I feel like that's often somehow grosser and more obscene than actually saying the words. <laughs> Sex. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine going like, well, let's go to sleep. It's like, I, I will be dead in 24 hours. I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I think I'll, and I'll like, experience every second of life. Just the smash cut to him hitting snooze is very, very funny it still. Is very just funny, like, yeah. I think it still gives me anxiety as a kid. It definitely just like, God damn it, Homer, you have one day left. <laughs> I think it's great because it really sets the tone for how he's going to deal with his remaining hours for the rest of the episode. He's running late the rest of the day. I mean, I've had nightmares like, that of just like oh every it just things stack upon each other and every second i'm later because of it yeah like he's, he's taking it seriously but he's also still being very homer about it they never write this is like a season one kind of ditzy marge line where marge is like but you look so peaceful lying there yeah. like that marge marge sweet should, too. sure yeah i there'll be plenty of time for that and his, <laughs> yeah. his last meal seems to just be like oatmeal and like boxed donuts like i figure marge would make a better last breakfast for him. There, there's not a joke about homer indulging in food on his final day which is mm, odd but yeah. i guess it's still earlier homer he's not the total food monster we know him to be though he certainly wolfs down that sushi the same piece over and over and over again <laughs> uh but yeah homer now he's gonna start his day first he visits bart bart reads it as homer wants to spank him that's the only reason he would talk to him <laughs> 
Uh, or, or oh make, yeah, would they ever do that joke now? Oh, I mean, Bart's butt hanging out. I, I, even the idea of just like <laughs> the casualness and acceptedness of like, well, Homer of course spanks Bart all the time. Like, yeah, they never, they never do that. For whatever yeah. reason, the idea strangling, of, yes, yeah, <laughs> spanking, no. I'm glad you said that. For whatever reason, the idea of uh, strangling Bart is still funny, but the spanking, just like God, Homer, you monster, monster. <laughs> uh, just Bart, like he's like, all right, here's my butt. There, okay, let's get this over with. I, I also love how when Homer tries to tell him this, he's just like bart just pushed back i want you just get to give it to lisa he's like shut up like, <laughs> so i like how pissed off he is like even though he thinks this is the last words he'll ever say to his son he's like shut up he needs to move on with his day <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah that's actually another of the big changes in the script too uh here i'll play the original or the aired version of the advice homer gives the three little sentences that will get you through life number one cover for me number two Oh, good idea, boss. Number three. It was like that when I got here. Hey, this is good stuff. Told you. Now, come on. You're going to learn how to shave. <laughs> and finally, the little spot under your nose. Next, we take some toilet paper, tear off some teensy little squares, and stick one there, and there, and any place you're bleeding. There and there. Don't worry. The blood will hold it right on your face. Now, some aftershave. And that's how we shave. <laughs> oh. Why, you little? It was like that when I got here. Oh, that's my boy. <laughs> so that joke was written before Home Alone came out. But yeah. Home Alone popularized the aftershave burns my face thing. I shave a lot. Ah, uh, my face. I never have used aftershave in my life. Oh, really? Yeah. I, it's really I, an old I man knew thing. I what that thing was. I never <laughs> yeah. understood those jokes. Yeah, when I saw Home Alone, I don't think it took me years to understand, like, why did he scream? I don't mm. understand. No, I've, uh, I've been scared of aftershave uh, my whole life because that Home Alone joke. I never, Though I'm more of an electric razor guy who also uh, shaves less often than Bob. I think I, I would say, uh, as you see me on the art on the <laughs> Simpsons Patreon, Talking Simpsons Patreon, that is the usual level of uh, facial hair I have on my face. Yeah. These yeah, days, <laughs> yeah. quarantine, I shave every three or four days. If I'm uh, staying with Nina, if she's staying at my place, it's every day before our, uh, our nightly kiss on the cheek the man and wife do in a relationship. Uh, otherwise, I tear up her face. Yes. Uh, I. Uh, but yes, the uh, Scoville had a very different, uh, she quotes in her book, a different set of suggestions. Uh, they were, you'll end up in it with a bad job but if you kiss up, you can take a day off every now and then. Find a woman who loves you and think twice about having kids. Yeah. Which that's very funny to say to Bart. And then the last one is don't eat blowfish, which that's a good, I like that joke. But <laughs> the the other version is a more, well, actually, I was going to say Brooks, but it actually feels more like a Simon thing that it's about how to be a lazy employee. Yeah. Like, that's what the jokes are. I do like that. You know what? I feel the idea that the cut yourself shaving jokes are just such a thing of the past because these days razors have uh, 40 blades in them oh, yeah, yeah. and not that that makes them more dangerous it's just they're so much more efficient i only cut myself when i'm shaving around my giant adam's apple <laughs> it's, a, it's a real problem so like i rarely ever cut myself shaving maybe like three or four times a year just like a little nick mm. 
Is aftershave supposed to help with the bleeding? I think it's like an astringent or something like that. Yeah, I think it's like a disinfectant for your face. Yeah. Like that, your face is okay. more raw, and so then when you splash it on there, it's very painful. I love Homer just like gritting through the pain, like, ooh oh, so good. Maybe people don't use aftershave as much anymore because I, they don't cut their face as much. I think so. It does feel like an old man thing. Uh, people <laughs> in the comments, let us know how wrong we are. Uh, man, if only Wasn't we- there like a big manly man movement a while back where everyone was using straight razors? Mm, I well, think, I wish we had a razor company we could advertise. Yeah, it's so natural to put this in now. <laughs> like beard box, like oh, yeah. I have my mustache wax came and yeah. my beard conditioner is here. Well, th- if, I, if I had a beard, I would never want to use a uh, straight razor. Those things look scary. Yeah, I, I definitely think it was part of that Obama era thing of like, I'm going to be a man, like Madman. Yeah. The characters for Madman. I'm going to, I'm going to shave just like John Hamm does. And that'll make me, and I'll have pocket squares and sock garters. <laughs> I'll ignore like the social commentary and just look at the fashion. Yeah, it's all about the, fa- it's about fashion and day drinking. That's all Mad Men. It's about dudes rock. Yeah, dudes rock. <laughs> the bits then come with Lisa, which uh, we're recording this right after John Swartzwelder gave his first interview ever. And it was in my head because he fully articulated how homer is a dog Mm -hmm. and i was thinking about it this entire scene because homer flies from emotion to emotion instantly uh, through his entire bit with lisa here listen to lisa play her sex hi dad want me to cut out this infernal racket oh let me hear you play why does your father have to explain let's just share your gift okay down tempo when the saints go marching and after that scene i think yeah. i just realized that that's why i wanted to keep that in there until i had the audio by itself i was like oh yeah colossin connects the scene by having a down tempo version of it take him to the next scene i don't wow, hear that i never realized that i don't hear that song often but when i do i think of the homer lyrics i think of rumbas and going yeah. over there yeah that's so that homer just that if i love that joke too because the implication is homer always thinks that's the lyrics of the song he's lived in into his late 30s and he's like yeah it's uh wants to be in that rumba like <laughs> all right homer at this point 35 yeah all oh, right right uh, do you know what lisa's playing at first mm-mm. no idea not credited either i would love to know I don't, I don't know if it's like a real song or if the sax player was just riffing or what i i love the reaction the lisa can see in homer of like oh my god what am i doing to my father i need to turn <laughs> this song around right now like and also that she's quoting back to him the infernal racket line there's there's a lot of like two season one sequel <laughs> jokes here like also homer's beard popping right back at the end of that scene though without the sound effect of the pop that you get in uh, enchanted evening nell just uh, homer, uh, homer without the beard is always unnerving to see i hate that uh nell scoville just heard do the bart man like what does homer think of lisa all right stop playing that damn saxophone yeah <laughs> that's what he says to lisa uh, well we meant to say it before but when bart was asking about the squid like that's the same thing he asked the guy at the rusty barn 
Barnacle mm-hmm. in uh, in Homer's Night Out. Yeah. You know, Bob, what you just said, that's also what Homer had to recite to himself to remember what Lisa plays. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, but yeah, that's Homer the dog there. I just think of this as instant turning on emotions because he's he's that shallow of a person. That's. Uh, I, I've not read that article yet, the interview, because I ran out of free uh, New Yorker uh, New York Times, uh, no, New Yorker uh, articles. But uh, once I'm able to read it, I will devour it. I've seen like people posting screenshots of like uh, the best parts of it, and it sounds great. I just love how Schwarzwalder is so Schwarzwalder, even when he's giving the interview. Yeah, <laughs> there's some great Schwarzwalder jokes in the interview. It's, it's he's such amazing. a funny guy. Yeah, he's he is one of the funniest guy. I wonder, I wonder if this will be like it. You took the core, the genies out of the bottle now. Like maybe he'll do like more interviews now, and I. I can't believe that that I always was sure that Twitter account couldn't actually be him and it's a, a poser on Twitter, but it's really him. I, I couldn't believe it. I'm curious as to why you thought it was a poser on Twitter. Everybody fakes me. I've, I had to see, so I guess it's kind of over now, but the number of times I had <laughs> uh, to see yeah. Dave Chappelle shares this thing or like, oh, the Bill Murray. Account. Or like Chris Rock parody. <laughs> yes. Oh, the Chris Rock parody ones. True, so. but like uh, Short Holder's account is just him plugging his own book. Yeah, it's uh, nobody's trying, but I felt it was like it has to be a long con and also i guess i thought there is no way the luddite i imagine john swartzwelder to be would ever have a twitter account i i guess that's also what i thought but uh, i can imagine i couldn't imagine him having a twitter account just to say buy my book (laughs) that's all they ever say about him on a commentary if if you mention john swartzwelder on a commentary you also have to say buy his books on amazon they're the funniest thing which is true they are are good and it's been almost 20 years since he's written for the show so it's been a long time (laughs) and so uh homer heads over to ned's to borrow a cam quarter in bar to the lover when ned approaches homer uh for something homer says if it's about your camcorder i lost it so ned never gets this back some continuity there yeah uh i also have to thank gene and reese for paying attention to this flanders barbecue plot point because they brought it back in the second or no i think it is the final production one of season two when flanders Flanders failed failed. yeah Yeah. and bill oakley and josh weinstein had the flanders like family reunion barbecue Uh, good uh, flanders and barbecue they just it fits together (laughs) buenos diddly ding dong ds (laughs) i'm surprised the episode doesn't end with like ned calling homer up to ask him about the the barbecue well nina i'm glad you mentioned that you set us up perfectly because uh nell's original ending involved homer being at ned's and barbecue being miserable and everything uh basically the effects of his last day are coming back to haunt him like he has a you know meeting with burns in the morning Uh, abe wants to play catch with him like all of these things are coming back to haunt him everything he did on his last day is now affecting him in the present now that he's not dead and it's him fuming at this barbecue and march saying now homer aren't you so happy to be alive (laughs) that was the original ending that was written uh that would have been great. Yeah. I mean, plot wise, that makes so much more sense. Like you set up all of these things and there is the implicit joke multiple times in here of Homer making a promise and then laughing. He's like, I'll be dead by then. I don't have to fulfill this promise. Like he's celebrating his death uh, in a way or the opportunity it gives him. The joke should end with him having to deal with the consequences of it. But they just slam right to the ending. Like, yeah, the the actual ending to this was definitely not in Scoville's uh, uh, thing and she's she says it in her book and she kind of uh, even mentions on the commentary it bugs her there's mm. no real ending to this episode it's still funny but we'll get to it and uh, so yes homer gives a video message to maggie i'd love to come to your barbecue <laughs> i'll even bring the thickest 
juiciest T-bones you ever seen. Mm-mm, <laughs> sounds terrific. <laughs> Joke's on him, I'll be dead by then. I'm trying to get him presented. <laughs> <clears throat> this is a videotape for my daughter, Maggie. Hi, Maggie. I'm speaking to you from beyond the grave. Woo! <laughs> Hope that didn't scare you. Well, Maggie, you're grown up now, and unless you taped over this, you're probably wondering what kind of man your father was. He was a simple man, a kind man, a gentle man who loved his children and... <laughs> Hello! Yeah, he's here. Who is this? Bart's friend Milhouse. Bart, get your butt down here! It's a real, uh, this is Bob's ADR corner, where that thing, uh, after he says, hope I didn't scare you, it's just one looped mouth animation of him, like, chewing, it looks like, and I really want to, again, we always say this, I really want to know what he originally said, because clearly that was written way after the fact. Mm -hmm. I, I love, um, Homer's obvious disdain for Millhouse here. Millhouse! Bart's <laughs> like, uh, friend Millhouse. <laughs> I love every, I, this has to be the first time, but every time Homer hates the, uh, just the idea of Millhouse, like, yeah, you know, there's this little wiener named Millhouse, like, <laughs> He complains about Millhouse to Burns later. It's probably uh, Millhouse. Yeah, he, he, can't, he can't stand Millhouse. I love that. Uh, God, and, and yeah, you're right, though. They it, they definitely tacked on like four or five extra seconds to this, which sometimes it's for ADR, and also it can be just like, oh, we're under. Can you just make this scene last four more seconds? Like, uh, Also, another big cut here after he made the messages to his kids is that uh, he was going to visit Reverend Lovejoy, and mm. that's that whole thing got cut based on the text in her book she made it sound like it got some level of animation done for it like hmm. she she kind of mentions like oh i i wish it didn't get cut and it it had to get cut for time i couldn't tell if if it had gotten like uh boarded at the very least i wonder unfortunately we have no access to cl uh, cut classy chupo scenes <laughs> the classy chupo cuts or the like season four mm -hmm. the first film romans uh season <coughs> they could have made the first act a little shorter i think if this episode were written today they would just start from the simpsons at the sushi restaurant that's they don't a, need all that setup that's why they're there that's a great point yeah. they could have that conversation at the the sushi table it's just like i can't believe we're at the sushi <laughs> restaurant and then yeah, go exactly. from there you're right totally right about that uh but you know back then i think uh especially with brooks making a lot of the uh the calls they liked you know what is the family life like let's see the their dinner and tv yeah. viewers are stupid they they watch the show about a family they're in a sushi restaurant do they live in the sushi restaurant <laughs> i need answers <laughs> And uh, then Homer heads over to the retirement castle, which first time I caught this, you you caught it too. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, that, that Homer, when he walks in, they just use the shot of Homer entering the place from the Thanksgiving episode. You can see the Thanksgiving decoration uh, at the top of the screen when he enters. I thought it was a joke, like they still have their Thanksgiving decorations <laughs> up in January, but it's also reused animation. It's great as oh, that I never joke. Noticed that. Yeah. It does work as an unintentional joke, though. Mm -hmm. You're right. I mean, because in the Thanksgiving one, they make the joke that they... Uh, no, later they'll do the joke on Valentine's Day that they just staple the decorations on top of each other endlessly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, the uh, retirement castle visit to Abe... I like just how cold Abe is to him. He's just like, oh, it's you. Like, it's, uh, this, th that Abe instantly, though, falls apart and just like, I do love you too. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Like, there's a very oh. weird looking Abe there, isn't there? Yeah, to the point where, like, Matt Groening, like, shudders on the commentary. And it is, <laughs> it is the worst looking character post season one. It's the line on the first per, the, the facing camera view of Abe after when he says, uh, what do you say we go fishing? It looks like, 
when Troy McClure shows you the early picture of Grandpa in the clip show, it looks like that. Uh, oh, you're right. I sent Nina that yeah. when I was watching it the other day. I was like, look at this Grandpa. That's a great drawing, I think. Um, you know, not intentionally so. But is is yeah, Grandpa? He, Abe has a lot of Abe has a lot of lines in his design compared to a lot of other characters. So he there's more chances of him looking grotesque. Yeah, I was gonna ask you if Abe was harder to draw, having drawn him. I actually like I like drawing Abe. Like any character that has more lines, they are easier to draw because it's easier to make them look like the character. It's the more simple characters like like Bart or Lisa that are harder to nail because if you don't get the the few lines they have perfect, then they don't look like the character. And also, Abe gets to sneak in a lot of shorts style uh, character design rules that they've ironed out of a lot of other characters like crusty doesn't look much like shorts crusty but or there's there's some definite changes there but like abe looks pretty if you see abe in his first couple shorts like he looks pretty similar they to how he looks here just change his shirt color yeah yeah his uh his hair is really weird his weird onion top <laughs> anytime he pulls at it or they they do the joke of march cutting his hair i'm like how much of that is hair i well I, it's hard to read what's hair on his head <laughs> one thing i love about grandpa's design is he wears his slippers everywhere yeah he never wears shoes <laughs> always slippers and it, it looks especially weird when they're they're later playing uh they're playing around in the forest and he's still wearing slippers <laughs> yeah uh like when he's chasing after the turtle he's still got the slippers on yeah was he never shown outside a home in mm. the shorts i think he was just in the living room yeah yeah he's in the yeah. living room yeah <laughs> he wants to play uh, one last when he had to go outside <laughs> i did laugh is like like one last game of hacky sack yeah. <laughs> oh god i uh and yes bob you you linked me to the clip of it but this is a very specific reference here of homer and abe having fun together as as abe takes up all of homer's last day it's a reference to the uh 1967 anti-smoking ad like father and son i guess it's about you know have fun with your kid like that's no all. you're wrong oh, it's right. like father like son think about it won't you which oh. you hear that riff all the time in mystery science theater what yes. it is is like the little kid is imitating his dad doing all this stuff like you know hammering a nail into something or like climbing something and then it's like the dad is smoking but then the kid is going for the cigarette so right. you're a bad influence uh. and so the music you hear in this uh parody will later be heard in the scene uh of bart and jack in the box homer hanging out so it's just them fuzzily remembering this PSA that they would see on TV in the late 60s. Wow, I've never seen that before. Just like, I've seen it referenced many times, just not the, the actual thing. Well, I didn't like know the music was referencing it. We, we could play a bit of the music, but yeah. it's just visuals until the very end. So the very like cheesy 60s-ish music you hear in, in the episode is a parody of this music from this PSA. Like father, like son. Manos, the hands of fate. I was thinking the exact same thing. Anytime you hear like a flute, that's enough. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, just like really cheesy 60s music. Uh, They're not using the same music, of course, but if you were a boomer watching this in 1991, you're probably like, oh, they're riffing on that old anti-smoking ad that we saw. Hmm. It was sort of, this is your brain on drugs for boomers almost. I see. I always forget that when Tom Servo says, think about it, won't you? Like that it's a reference to that. Uh, but yes, Homer and, and Abe play around together all day, including uh, they wrestle in the mud. Uh, and so I do love that Homer cancels all of his other plans and then uh, crosses through him. And then he, he has to abandon his father because he's like, I can't spend all day with this guy. If you're into collecting cells, there's a nice cell of Homer and Abe playing catch at uh, comicmint.com mm. for $610. 
Oh man, that sounds good. I, you know, on Twitter today, I just saw somebody shared what I was like, if this was, it was somebody showing off in their collection. And I was like, if this was available, I would pay $600 for it right now. And it is Marge as the queen and Bart as rat boy in yeah. the background. And oh, I was like, yeah. oh, rat boy sell. I would kill for that. I saw that too. Yeah. I want that. I do want that. And I can't, there's, I, there's too many, I, I make now enough money to make a stupid sell purchase and I Save have to stop some cells for the rest of us. It's only <laughs> you, hundreds you of already millions. You have a great grandpa cell. Yeah. No, I do have the perfect grandpa cell, which uh, I got to even show off to Wes Archer himself. Uh, but yes, uh, Homer then has to speed off from his, his love starved grandpa. She did way to hog my last moments. Just a quick game of hacky sack. <laughs> I love you, son! Yeah, yeah. Geez, the old guy's a little love star. Get moving, you hunk of junk. I gotta make up for lost time. Don't! I'm sorry, officer. I know I was going too fast. Just give me a ticket. I beg your pardon? Just give me a ticket! Whoa, well, that sounded like an order. I pay my taxes and they pay your salary. So when I say give me a ticket, just give me a ticket. Uh-huh. Maybe we don't want to give you a ticket. Maybe we want to haul your butt in, wise guy. <laughs> hey, look what else your tax dollars pay for, huh? <laughs> the most sinister Eddie we've ever seen. <laughs> Maybe this was the first time as a child I was introduced to the idea that cops can be not nice. I, I maybe had never had to th- had that thought before as a kid. You know, you grow up in the 80s with uh, with the Reagan years. You know, cops are only nice guys. They're officer friendly. And they're often from Beverly Hills like Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. But I really love as as a mean joke, uh, the cops saying like, look at what else your tax dollars pay for. Like that. It's ve- it's a very funny line. But yeah, God, that sound of Abe just going, son. That's, <laughs> uh, maybe that's where they discovered how great it is to hear just Dan in the old man voice. Screaming. Go, oh. Hacky <laughs> sack. He he does the best with that in Grandpa versus Sexual Inadequacy. Yeah, we we, sure. we mimic sex earlier today. Yes. the word sex. So just well, that, that and when he says that that medical ailment. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Remember that line. I can't. Oh, it's sorry. it's from inhaling volcanic <laughs> ash. Yeah. <Right. laughs> we come back with a commercial break. Homer is trapped in prison. He's with a guy who's in there for atmosphere, which uh, <laughs> it's a very vaudevillian joke, but I do, it's it's cute. It's funny. I love that joke. <laughs> and uh, then comes another bit where, as a person now who is married, feels totally different to me than Homer going like, "I can't waste Marge's time." It's like, no, the first person I would call is my spouse to say, "Get me out of jail! Yeah. I'm gonna die! I don't want to die in jail!" I wouldn't try to save. I I wouldn't want also spend less time with that person by calling my alcoholic friend <laughs> instead. And this is back in the era only in the first three seasons where Homer and Barney truly friends you know uh i feel like all of his jokes be shifted over to lenny and carl like oh lenny and carl can be outside of the the power plan and they can talk to homer barney is probably my least favorite character in the simpsons so i'm okay with him fading after these seasons you wish he'd have shot mr burns and be still be in jail to this day (laughs) he's okay in small doses (laughs) i love barney here not only is he like just they this is my favorite version of barney that he is homer's 
bachelor friend and they yeah. both were bachelors but barney stayed in the bachelor life into his 30s while homer became a regular dad and that barney still lives in the same place that's like uh, we've heard it said before but rich Moore yeah and and other animators lived in the apartment they drew barney's apartment to be like, apparently that humphrey bogart poster was the scarface poster of its time <laughs> just like the poster every guy had oh god what is it from I don't know. It's just like a stock photo of Humphrey Bogart, probably from some Humphrey Bogart movie. Yeah, it's like him okay. with a gun and everything. Yeah, it was. You see, then it was Scarface, and for our generation, it was Fight Club. Fight Club, yeah. or the two women kissing. Sure, the two women kissing in black and white. Yeah, that when Scott Pilgrim has that in his apartment, I was like, "Yep, that's real. That's <laughs> that is the correct thing." Oh, <laughs> at least for straight guys, anyway. I want to talk about crazy calls. Oh yeah, let's talk okay, about crazy Bob. calls. I so, got the clip right here. Uh, Homer calls uh, Barney's phone, and he gets the nobody's here, nobody's here, and then Homer is just like, "Damn, they are not." novelty answering machine message tapes this is real it was a commercial i saw all the time as a kid and i have it uh, set up to play before their parody of uh, beethoven's fifth give someone the gift of gab for their answering machine a friend what you've actually done is bought a one-way ticket to the answering machine zone nobody's home nobody's home Crazy Calls, a tape of seven different songs and funny recordings for only $14.95. So yeah, there that was a parody of Crazy Calls, a, a commercial I saw all the time as a kid, but there, uh, Simpsons, it was Nobody's Here. On this one, it was Nobody's Home, Nobody's Home, which is better. Oh, and when I was a kid, I was like, if only my family was that cool that we could have Crazy Calls. <laughs> I was going to ask you guys if this was a real thing. I'm delighted to find out that it is because I, I unironically love this. <laughs> I wish I could use that for my answering machine, which I never check. Um, mm. a voicemail, rather, just to like tick people off. Uh, Imagine I... trying to reach someone and they get that instead. <laughs> Uh, I well, I especially love that like in the 80s, it's like, well, I got to pay. Fi I can't just make this funny thing myself. I got to pay 15 bucks to have all this classic comedy prepared for me. I I especially love that the last one was called The Rap. Yeah, like that's the name <laughs> of it on the screen. I would want a song that says, don't call me email me instead yeah. <laughs> i'm not gonna listen to the, your message couldn't no, do that in 1991 oh, God, I, <laughs> yeah, 15 in 80s money that's not cheap either for but i guess you're paying for quality there with <laughs> barney has priorities my I, favorite <laughs> version of this joke is george's answering machine message in seinfeld yes yes yeah but <laughs> i had never heard uh, that song before i heard it first from the costanza version me too <laughs> oh same also when barney gets the call i i just love his like i'm on my mom like that's that's very realistic here I, I actually i got the clip wait i can't call marge it's our last day on earth together i can't drag her into this mess i know i'll call barney nobody's here nobody's here nobody's here damn no novelty telephone answering machine tapes thanks a lot barney i just wasted my what? one wait. phone call on your stupid uh, i'm home i'm home uh. Hi, Homer. You gotta help me, Barney. I'm in jail. You are? Hey, Homer, go to the window. Hi, neighbor. I can see you. Just, just, just get over here and bring 50 bucks for bail. 50 bucks? What'd you do, kill a judge? Uh, uh, where am I gonna get 50 bucks? <laughs>
I just love the Popeye muttering that he does in this disgusting apartment. (laughs) I I like the weird, like old technology joke that it's even hard to think about now is that there's feedback because when Barty answers the phone, his voice is also coming through the speaker of the answering machine. So it's causing feedback and he has to turn it off. That's what that whining is from. And that was like a common tech issue. If you answered the phone while the answering machine was picking it up, you'd hear the feedback if you were too close. Oh, that's great. And, and I love the implication that Barney's apartment is in such a bad part of town. Also like, not only is it ugly, but that it also it's right next to the the the, the lockdown, like a police station. Uh, and yeah, Homer uh, is let out because they collects fifty dollars of uh, rusty money. Yeah, uh, which uh, they they joke on the commentary too of like, oh, Wiggum actually does something here. They he he doesn't drive around and arrest people, but he can at least like take the bail money. And uh, I do like the little cut to them trying to have their nice final meal together, and Marge dressed them up and bart is just non-believing of like no really why are we doing this (laughs) it's not it couldn't be because we love our father (laughs) why are we all dressed up because sometimes it's fun to dress up for dinner why are we using the good china because sometimes it's fun to use the good china what's with the candles sometimes it's fun to use candles why are we waiting for dad because we love your father and enjoy his company why are we really waiting for dad and uh, so then Homer is freed and I swear Heath Ledger watched this because yeah. <laughs> Homer on his way out of the after leaving the police station he is sticking his head out of the window to feel the air just like the Joker himself does in 2008's The Dark Knight. The Fugu Joker fight him. <laughs> or he's just being a dog. Yeah. That's it's, it. It's a, yeah. The Joker is ripping off dogs yeah. this whole time. <laughs> You know, Barney, he can come off. Uh, I, I like to see that Barney actually gives a shit about his friend. Like he's he's a little too needy to be like, you don't want to spend time with your your buddies. and You want to be with your wife. But <laughs> but at the very least, like he is sad that his friend is about to die. Like, I, I like that. And uh, this is where Homer tells off Burns. And I feel like they them looking at women's ankles together on the commentary. They're like, oh, Smithers is straight here because he's checking out girls. I'm like, no, no, no. He's at best. I think he's turned on by like Burns being turned mm. on. He's like, oh, <laughs> ring a ding ding. Yeah. <laughs> ring a ding ding, sir. Yeah, that's that's his uh, impression of a straight person. I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which to Burns reads as normal. Like that's how the straight people talked in 1923. Yeah. There's a an animation mistake here because Smithers' layer is overlapping Burns even though he's like supposed to be behind him in the perspective wise uh, so he looks tiny uh, next to Burns it reminded me of the the picture the photo that came out recently of the the Bidens next to the Carters oh yes yeah. <laughs> they look uh, enormous that's so funny yeah no, uh, man I miss I, I didn't catch that I should be fired for that blunder <laughs> of not catching that blunder <laughs> Uh, I, I just figured they had given them binoculars so Smithers could use them to identify Homer as they drive away like that. That sounds right. Yeah, it makes physical sense. I, I also like the let's see who we'll see who eats who shorts. I I will. You know, you mentioned Richard Sakai earlier. The unauthorized biogra- uh, the unauthorized Simpsons history book also does allege that Richard Sakai is is Smithers mm-hmm. and that Burns is Jim Brooks like that. That is another of uh, the potential sources of those characters you're dying and you weren't even gonna stop at most for a last beer with your buddies <laughs> hey barney look it was on my list along with a lot of other things i didn't get to do today hey my boss smithies check out the luscious pear on that redhead 
That's it, baby. Work those ankles. Ring-a-ding-ding, sir. Hey, birds! Eat my shorts! Who the Sam Hill was that? Why, it's Homer Simpson, sir. One of the schmoes from Sector 7G. Simpson, eh? I want him in my office at 9 o'clock Monday morning. We'll see who eats whose shorts. Wow, of all the luck. I think I almost died without telling the boss to eat my shorts. Oh, Homer, come on. You got time for one last beer? Please! So, yeah, Homer heads back into the bar, tries to call, but there's a prank phone call that's preventing him. Uh, and I I also like Mo saying it's the birthplace of the Rob Roy, which is uh, <laughs> famously not there. It was at the Waldorf Astoria in 1894. You know what? Weirdly playing I've Got You, Babe, in the background is happening wow, in this wow, scene. Wow, they're still doing it. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. The second share reference in this episode. Oh, you're right, man. But it's so expensive for a thing you barely hear. It's such a... Uh, I, I I didn't realize it continued into season two. It's definitely so a cover, but they still had to pay money for it. Man. Uh, but, but you know, Rob Roy, vermouth and scotch whiskey. I could go for one of those. Mm-mm. But yes, Homer then tells all of his friends uh, at the bar who he never remembers <laughs> uh, that he, he thinks of them and smiles. It's a very, like, cute little speech. I do love the guy's reaction to being kissed. Like, you better be dying. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> and, uh, and then another great joke of it is they're trying to leave. You can't tell. You think the car's moving and then it zooms out to show the, like, no, Homer, <laughs> they are stuck and yeah. barney is twirling as fast oh. as he can <laughs> there's also the the prank call from bart yeah the the, the classic seymour barts uh seymour bus Se- i want to see more barts <laughs> how often is this show on tv that's uh, what the kids were demanding back in the 90s where did you guys bart? hear about this um fan theory about moe's prank calls Mm-mm. which i don't buy at all apparently it's from 2016 i found this uh yahoo news article about it I don't think it's particularly newsworthy, but I guess he had a slow day back in 2016. <laughs> Someone called Senor Schnarf on Reddit had this theory that Mo always knows that it's Bart and gives him a big reaction just to make Bart's day because he's a lonely man who loves children and he's so sweet. And I'm like, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think he'd murder more children than uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, but no. that, that's a it's a cute theory. But as we all know, when he thought it was Jimbo, he was going to stab him to death. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. With a rusty knife. This is a, yeah, the Yahoo article is called "This The Simpsons Fan Theory About Mo is Heartbreaking. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, I mean, when, when I'm trying to pull together news stories for our community podcast every time, there's a couple websites I just have to be like, oh, it's that website. They just publish like a fan theory. Never like they they have like a fan theory quota at some websites like they, they have to publish like two. two I don't blame them. I was part of that grind once. We were part of it. Yeah, I, uh, I understand. And then we get one of the first of the many references to the graduate on the show. I think it was only after they did deep graduate references in Mrs. Bo- Lady Bouvier's Lover that I was like, fine, I guess yeah. I have to watch the graduate to get these jokes, that's, I guess. That's why I did it. That, movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is a good movie. Though, though for baby boomers, it's how they felt ways about things in their, in mm. their age. It was the breakfast club of their age. I can see that. Uh, for me, it was Rushmore. That was my graduate. Me, it was can't hardly wait no it wasn't i don't know what mine was <laughs> mole rats oh it was definitely for me it was ghost world ah mm-hmm. that's a good that is a... for any um artsy girl growing up 
in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Ghost World is where it's at. As Homer runs back, I, I like the shot of him screaming at the window. And I also, I just appreciate any time. Snowball 2 is like pawing at them playing checkers. Anytime there's <sighs> natural cat acting, I'm like, ah, oh, I wish they still did that. Uh, I'm a real dum-dum. I realize not just the musical uh, references graduate, but him pounding on the window. Yep. For whatever reason, until you just said it now, I'm like, oh, fuck. That's the Elaine <laughs> scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah, how did I get the end of Wayne's World without that? That's that uh, that had to be the other one. Seeing yeah. that in Wayne's World too, I was like, I I I just know it must be a thing because I've seen the exact same thing in like three different things made in 1991 to 94. Uh, and so Homer rushes off to bed. They've only got so many times. He who knows when his heart's going to explode. You know. What if it happens while they're being intimate? Oh God! Very risky. Oh poor Marge. They would traumatize Marge forever. Yeah, it's. Uh... She'd just be crushed by him. There'd be two deaths. Yeah, actually, she'd suffocate. Yeah. Uh, she tried to scream, but she her mouth was. She had a mouthful of flab. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> Gross. Sorry. Uh, the, but this is. This is another first in this episode, though, a sexy first. Ooh. It's uh, the first time Marge sleeps nude in bed, and uh, first of many times. I think definitely um, Mark Kirkland really likes drawing it that way. He, he, he likes, I mean, I like that, you know, if Marge is in the mood that she's like, you know what, I'm going to bed naked. Like mm -hmm. it, it perhaps seems risky for, you know, you never know when a kid's going to have a nightmare and knock on the door or whatever. But I, I like that bit of personality for Marge. Yeah. Yeah. This is purposeful nudity though mm -hmm. in this scene. Yeah, the uh, this kind of shot would not be in the t in the hardcore nudity uh, cutscene no. uh, montage. Not in the don't turn on the light, don't turn on the light <laughs> scene. <laughs> That's the one you want to go for. Oh, by the way, the the chest hair on Homer in this season and all the early seasons, I guess, very distracting. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad they got rid of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, it's it's uh, Bluto chest hair. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, Scoville mentions that in her original script, they she wanted to joke that Homer failed to perform, and Marge is saying like, "Hey, with all the stress you're under, I I totally understand <laughs> it." Which uh, that's it's a cute joke, but but yes, this is the bit where uh, James L. Brooks told her, "Be real, like don't don't run from emotion." Where can he be? Marge! Marge! Homer! Hey, don't have me explain. Oh, love you, love you, love you. <laughs> I wrote a poem for you this afternoon, Homer. It's called To a Husband. Okay, okay. <clears throat> the blackened clouds are forming. Oh, give me a break, Marge. Soon the <laughs> rain will fall. My dear one is departing. But first, please heed this call. That always will I love you, my one, my love, my all. That was beautiful. Though now I'm shocked if like Marge fell asleep after that. Like yeah. I'd be like, I'm going to stay awake with you until you know. <laughs> maybe she was quite satisfied at the end of that intimate uh, moment. The perhaps. original joke Nell had was my da 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 da, and she says, "Sorry, I didn't have time to finish the couplet." Yeah. But then Jim Brooks, I don't think he said. It. I think Jim Brooks was in the habit of handing people notes. Yes. Like yeah. literally, like in a very enigmatic way. He's a busy man. He's trying to make a musical that he'll then make not a musical. <laughs> And yeah, that's why she actually finished the poem. And I will say um, that we just recorded our We Hate Movies episode uh, about Simpsons movie. And uh, that scene with the tape and Marge, uh, you know, just really broken up. People say, you know, it's so moving. I don't like that. I think it's very manipulative. This, I feel, has more real emotion in it. And it's mm. not just making Julie read something 30,000 times until her voice is about to break. Mm. Like, I feel like 
there's more to this that I like than that scene, which feels a lot more forced. I agree. As you know, I, I like the Simpsons movie, um, but I don't like that scene either, especially because by that point, there's been so many times where she's like, I can't do this anymore. I can't be in this relationship. Uh, that kind of takes away from that moment. The fact that she's tried to pull away so many times. Yeah. With good reason, too, yeah. I should say. No person would. That's why Homer doesn't want her talking to Zweig anymore. He knows He knows that's the final diagnosis. But, yeah, this this poem is much more naturally sweet. And mm-hmm. I do. I also did chuckle at Homer at first, not just receiving the poem, but thinking it's corny and just being like, come on, Marge. Like, Lighten up. Yeah. Uh, but, but, yes, Marge is asleep. Homer walks over to say goodbye to his kids. I... I still love that he just compliments Bart on his sheets. He has no other. He doesn't think Bart will have a great life or anything. It does feel like a callback to uh, Marge writing her Christmas letter and her saying, and Bart, well, we love Bart. You're right. Yeah, very similar joke. But I'm not saying it's... Even in his dying moments, he can't think of something nice to say about Bart. I'm not saying it's it's like a a theft. I'm saying it's just what you say about Bart. And it's just like, um, there's something later uh, in like the, the Country Club episode where uh bart i love bart exactly yeah Yeah. it's like they can never think of anything bart's good at or any kind of qualities (laughs) to him that they like so like and bart i love him he's great yeah (laughs) or sheets are nice so originally in her pitch the bible was read by phil collins of genesis that was the joke Mm -hmm. but uh i really like that they got the late Larry King for this. I guess uh, we're going to play the death jingle, but it's also dying yes, in this, this episode. Is, this is the final death jingle. We're like, you know what? Enough of this. It's it's. Uh, I, I'm tired of making <laughs> guests uncomfortable making them hear a death jingle yeah, as I we mean, mo- seemingly mock a person for dying. After 600,000 Americans died needlessly in the past uh, 18 months, yeah. uh, I'm kind of done with the death <laughs> jingle. That's fine. Uh, though I will always appreciate Nina... Uh, your suggestion for creating the anti-death jingle. I really appreciate that, uh, which sadly must go away in conjunction with this, I guess. But but here, yes, the final death jingle for the guest. Death stalks you at every turn. Ah, there it is, death! Larry King, who passed away on January 23rd of this year, 2021, at age 87 from COVID-19 complications. So even the healthiest among us can suffer of COVID. Uh, of course, he was, uh, he'd been through a lot in his life, a lot of health scares. In 1987, he had a quintuple bypass surgery, and uh, he lived a life. He that's, lived a life. That's two more bypasses than Homer got. Well, no, and Conan had him on his show many times, and all the jokes are about, like, what happens when you die? Are you going to live forever? like it was always about his mortality and he had that like hulu show still like right before the end his buff sons will live on his memory (laughs) i'm sure his large sons were pallbearers oh man no it's it's incredible that larry king passed away one day before the 30th anniversary of this episode wow it was the day before i i remember i tweeted it out and nell scoville like she's like yeah it's pretty eerie right like she she quote tweeted it and said that like yeah it's that he missed it by one day for such not just the episode he appeared in of two that he appeared in but also the one that is about mortality and dying like yeah it's uh it's eerie it's eerie yeah he only appeared one more time in size show bob roberts i'm surprised like he was on everything he interviewed the ghostbusters back in the day (laughs) like if he would be a talking head in any movie or tv show if you wanted him to be you know i'm okay with the anti-death jingle dying as well because you were starting to get a little too trigger happy with that i think you were doing it for people who were like in their 60s 58 years old they're not near death (laughs) yeah and i'd also have to audibly (laughs) 
knock on wood right before I played it. I was I was getting too uh, too nervous about it. You, you didn't know? have to. You chose to. <laughs> but yeah, Larry King. Uh, he was so funny. I one of the there were so many great clips of him in his late career that were coming out that were just hilarious of him. I mean, one of my favorites was seeing him asked about just tell me about working on Ghostbusters. He's like, oh, I got a huge check from it every time it played <laughs> on TV. One of my favorite movies I was in. There's a great clip of him in Seinfeld and uh, they just ended the show and Larry's like so why'd you get canceled and Jer- Jerry is just like do you even understand who I am canceled what are you talking he's so bad yeah and also of course just just look up I'm on DuckTales Larry yeah like, that's that's a classic clip but uh, comfortable socks <laughs> but uh, why don't we hear Larry King reading the Bible it's a good book on tape Ooh, it's read by Larry King Hi, I'm Larry King. In the beginning, <laughs> God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without Isaiah beget Phineas. Phineas begat Abushua. And Abushua <laughs> begat Ahimaz. Ahimaz begat Get Amariah onward. Amariah begets Ahitub. Ahitub begat <laughs> Shalom begat Hilkiah. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Well, that's it. My old friend Duke Zebra standing by. We'll get some coffee. We'll get some matzo ball soup. I love the San Antonio Spurs, by the way. If you're betting in the NBA this year, I think they're going to win it all. So I guess there's nothing more to say, but... So uh, the bit Homer fast forwards through is Chronicles 6-4. In general, Chronicles is just the section where it's like, and this father had this father, and this father had this father, and blah, blah, blah. So. I didn't understand why this was funny for the longest time, because I didn't know what the good book was. <laughs> if it said the Bible, I would have understood. But no, I was like, okay, I guess it's just some boring book. <laughs> uh, I don't remember like when I found out what the good book is. But mm. yeah, now I understand. Like Him fast forwarding through an audio version of the Bible is pretty funny. Apparently, according to where Larry King stops the book reading, he ends on the book of Malachi, which is most of the Old Testament. But I feel like a Christian like Homer would want to hear the New Testament. It's where the stuff gets really good. Yeah. Though, you know, Larry King, why would he want to read the New That's Testament true. stuff? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, Larry King is quite wrong because in the NBA Finals mm. in 1991 was the first of many Chicago Bulls winning the NBA the championship they would three-peat it then they'd uh, take two years away and then they three-peat it again the spurs would win once the showtime bulls were over and it was the and that was 1999 hmm. but uh he was quite wrong and the in 1991 you could not go wrong betting on michael jordan and his team uh, and so marge wakes up she goes down and checks on him this is where it was jim jim's brooks idea that it would be warm drool <laughs> to prove he was alive it's very sweet and uh and i like they could have just ended on homer's excitement at being alive here because i think it's really played well but I I agree with Nell Scoville. I'm I'm still annoyed that they at least explain why Homer isn't dead. If you're not even gonna pay off all of the promises he made, like you know, explain it. Yeah. I guess her original note was that uh, they would have gotten a call from the restaurant saying, "Oh, it turns out the poison was weak and wouldn't have even paralyzed the cats." Yeah, or something yeah. like that was the line. <laughs> uh, I do kind of like the crass smash cut to this recycled season one animation and just the, the very very not funny but very boring bowling commentary from Dan and Hank. Mm -hmm. Barely audible in this. Yeah, I still like this ending. And when he says like, oh, from this 
day forward, I vow to live life to its fullest. And then he just goes on to eating pork rinds in front of the TV. Like, <laughs> that's how I feel. This is absolutely how I will be once this pandemic is over. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, I'm going to live life to the fullest. And then just do the same thing I always do, which is just stay in front of my computer all day. Homer chewing that one pork rind forever over the credits bugs the hell out of me, though. <laughs> you should it's reach so for gross. another one. I can't one. stand it. Yeah, I... Yeah, the pork rind scene, it's, it's uh, from Moaning Lisa. I thought so, yeah. It's right before Homer learns that Barney's Bolarama burned down and that he's he's sad about that or upset by it. I like, too, that Reese says of like, oh, you know, he had to, it's a really hard to write boring things that aren't funny. And then Gene goes like, so, but that's my specialty. Like, <laughs> I, that's a good joke, too. I do but. like that. Uh, but yeah, I wish I wish it had a more conclusive ending, but especially for a freelance written script by an outsider to The Simpsons, I think it fits their style, least of season two, pretty well. It's it's uh, it's still the Brooks season two kind of like, no emotion, emotion, like that you're not allowed to go to Silly Town. And I suppose by 1991 standards, it's more respectful to culturally to mm -hmm. Japanese people than most things were in American sitcoms at the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a, uh, I, I still like it. It really understands this version of Homer from the, this era very, very well. I do like that. And uh, I do still, like I said, I still buy into the emotional aspect of the episode, even though I know obviously Homer is not going to die. It's just really fun to see this kind of man deal with his final day on earth. It's a fun idea for an episode that I've never seen before this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a fine episode. Very notable for me because I saw like authentic uh, Japanese representation on a TV show, especially one that I was really into. That meant a lot to me. I love that stuff. The first act is uh, is great. The rest, I'm like, eh, I could take it or leave it. But it is a very solid script. Good. One of the quality ones that will still forever scar me of like, oh, I thought Homer died. No. <laughs> <laughs> so Nina Matsumoto, I know where to find you, but where can our uh, listeners <laughs> find you and support you and what you do? Uh, well, first of all, I like to say uh, happy birthday, Bob. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> well, Your this birthday will go is coming up in three days. Live in late July. So all the <laughs> listeners, you missed your chance. <laughs> It was May 7th. Thank you. That's right. Happy birthday. Oh. Whoa. Is this happening on the air? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's oh my from God. me. Whoa. Uh, I sent Henry to buy a bottle of Freud for you. So nice. You enjoy that on your birthday. Age 10 years. Uh, single malt whiskey. I've never had this, and it comes in a tube. <laughs> oh, you've had a Freud. Oh, I have. We've only ever had it at bars, though. Okay. We've never bought it. That part, uh, that's that's a different Bob Mackey that went to bars and, you know, went outside. <laughs> so that, that man is bars, gone now. Bob? No, it's it's a very, very uh, smoky gotch. Ooh, thank you. I know you like. I'm so. going to resist drinking this all in one sitting, but thank you so much. <laughs> a time uh, for my real plugs. Go to spacecoyote.com to see my art. Follow me on Twitter at spacecoyote, and I'm also on Instagram at space.coyote.art. Not very active on there, though. Uh, if you go to fangamer.com, collections sort by artists, 
click on Space Coyote. You can see all my video game merch. Uh, most recently, I did stuff for Homestar Runner, Conqueror's Bad Fur Day, A Hat in Time, Life is Strange, and Slay the Spire. And you can also go to sparkscomic.com to learn about my children's graphic novel, drawn by me, written by Simpsons comics writer Ian Boothby. It's about two cats who pilot a robotic dog suit to save people. And the royalties I made from uh, sales of Sparks help pay for my application to sponsor my spouse, Bob, in Canada. So <laughs> your money will fund our love. Please support our love. <laughs> <laughs> and I also often uh, stop by the Talking Simpsons Discord. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. You can see me on there. So thanks again to Nina for being on the show. As for us, if you want to check out more of our stuff, please go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Sign up there for five bucks a month to get all these episodes one week ahead of time and ad free and also access to everything behind the $5 paywall. That includes all of our limited miniseries. The most recent one was Talking of the Hill Season 2 Part 1. That was 11 new episodes of Talking of the Hill, our King of the Hill retrospective. And there will be a new miniseries coming up in the fall of 2021. So watch out for that. And we have a bunch of other miniseries we've done in the past. Uh, now more than four years of this Patreon. They're all behind the $5 paywall at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. And we also have a $10 level. When you sign up for that, you get access to all of the $5 things, of course. But then access to one mega-long podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher that's right bob is talking about the what a cartoon movie podcast you may know that we do our sister podcast what a cartoon two times a month but we also do the what a cartoon movie only for our most premium of patrons at the ten dollar level you get all of the five dollar things bob just mentioned and then you get at the end of each month a brand new often over four hours long podcast discussion about an animated feature film recent ones have included disney's 1997 hercules the cult classic cool world and celebrating the 20th anniversary of shrek and tons and tons more you've got at least 130 hours of podcast waiting for you if you sign up today at patreon.com slash talking simpsons at that premium level to get it all so as for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo, and my other podcast is Retronauts, a classic gaming podcast about old video games. Find that wherever you find podcasts, or go to patreon.com slash retronauts. Sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month. Henry, what about you? I'm H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G on Twitter. Follow that to stay informed about Henry Gilbert and all he's doing in his life. And also, you should follow the official Twitter account of at Talk Simpsons Pod. At Talk Simpsons Pod, Nina has helped a ton with that. That is how you'll stay in the loop whenever new podcasts go live on the Patreon, on the free feeds, whenever we got a poll or an announcement of a new schedule. Any of that stuff, you stay up to date if you are a follower of at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, folks. We'll see you next time for Season 12's Worst Episode Ever. And we'll see you then. Over, but uh, his approach has been wrong from the beginning, as far as I'm concerned. Well, he's an erratic bowler, Jay.
Actually that, yeah. actually, that was Pontiac, Michigan. Oh, it's 38 Pontiac. pins going into the eighth. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, he's stepping up now. And if he, he needs to get at least a spare. Yeah. 